Twas the night before hockey, as arenas prepare for fans to take seats lightly used since the scare of pandemic that cut short our last two campaigns, now a full 82 tempts our hockey-starved brains. Who will rise to the top? Perhaps now is the time to beat Tampa who lost the Chell's best third line. Or perhaps, spite the game's extra minutes and miles, the Bolts three-peat, the first since the 82 Isles. In the fantasy game, managers carefully built a roster designed to put rivals on tilt. Top-line C's, PP net front, defensemen with VORP, move from abstract to real as puck drop starts our sport. Now Leon, now Kirill, now Austin and Brad, on Andre, on Connor, Mika Zibanejad. From wins in week one to the top of divisions while our eyes and minds dance with championship visions. Though it starts off tomorrow with Tampa and Pitt, from the moment the puck drops, we'll stand, never sit. Till the season has wrapped and the final horn sound tells us fantasy and Stanley's new champs have been crowned. Paddle saves, cuts and deeks, goals both greasy and great. Laser feeds and conversions to lit lamps await. So my friends, with broad grins, we prepare for this fight. I wish you all happy hockey. Puck drops tomorrow night. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, 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 hoj här kommer Carlson, 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 ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle göra så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson! Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who are both wearing Panthers hats for this recording, and probably if we would have started this podcast today, we'd be calling it Boosting Barkov, because we both have Alex Barkov on our couple teams. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, to give one tidbit on each NHL team right before the season starts, it's my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the poobah of prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the final preseason episode of Keeping Carlson for the 2021-22 NHL hockey and fantasy hockey season. We are so excited to be here, and what better way to usher in the new year but to do a little zip, a little tour around the league. We're going to romp around and find the most interesting tidbit to focus on from preseason, the takeaways we can we can grab from training camp and the final preseason matchups to help you get ahead in your fantasy leagues right off the bat. We're visiting every NHL city, all 32 of them, to find one piece of information for you that's going to help you yeah, have that edge early, early on because so much has changed and you want to know about it before the first game is actually played. So here we go. Yeah, here we go. And of course, uh, take everything with a grain of salt. We're going to be talking about a lot of lines, the latest lines we saw, which are, should be the most predictive of what we're going to see in the season. But of course, we never know for sure. So you're going to want to be checking out your game day line tweets.com for your most updated lines if we're talking about some specific combination that we're specifically excited about. So we're going to get to all that in just a sec. Of course, first, let me mention that Keeping Carlson is very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. That's going to be your source all throughout the season for the latest news and notes and articles and tools. It's all there. If you want to be successful in fantasy hockey, you got two rules, okay? 
day, you're going to listen to Keeping Carlson. Maybe three rules. You're going to become a patron, hang out on our Discord, and then you're going to go to DauberHockey.com every day to check for the latest. It's a really great site, so we're very proud to be presented by them for yet another season. That's DauberHockey.com. But okay, Brian, why don't we just get this show on the road, go to Anaheim. We're going to just go alphabetical through the league, as we often do. It's become a tradition. I think we've done this like every summer right before the season. So okay, in Anaheim, there's only one guy that we've got to talk about, right? And that's Trevor Zegras. Killer training camp for Zegras. Seven points in five games. Three points in the final game versus LA. He's been playing on a line with Ricard Raquel and Adam Henrique. Uh, so he dominated the AHL, the World Junior Championships last season. Like, basically, we know that uh, Zegras is a high pedigree guy that we've been excited about for a while. He comes in already training camps looking good. So, like, how excited are we for Trevor Zegras in his rookie season? Like, can we maybe set a new standard? I know we're going to think, like, oh, it's the Ducks. Like, how good can anyone the Ducks really be? But this is Trevor Zegras. How, how long has it been since the Ducks have had someone? like this so yeah what do you think brian how excited should i be well, you say it's been a while since the Ducks had anyone like this, but I remember the Troy Terry hype, Elon. I was there, and it oh, didn't don't pan com- out. No, don't but I don't, that. I'm not comparing. This is new. Trevor Zegras is at a new level of hype and a new level of believability compared to Troy Terry. Like you said, he tore up the AHL last season, 21 points in 17 games, and that was his pro debut, right? He came straight out of college into the AHL, and then in the NHL, uh, his numbers didn't look that impressive, 13 points in 24 games for Trevor Zegras, but he actually paced for almost 45 points thanks to those point totals and had zero power play production in that NHL time. So to have a 45-point pace before your power play production is a pretty nice spot to be in, which is why... I am, maybe uncharacteristically, buying into some of the hype around Trevor Zegras because if he can just even keep up those 45-point pace at even strength plus add in. It's not too much to ask if you're on the top power play for 15 power play points. 60 points is suddenly well within reach for Trevor Zegras. Of course, we're taking that half point per game uh, pace that Zegras had last season from a pretty small sample, but it's also a very modest mark to ask him to match. Plus, with Zegras, I do like that he has a finisher in Ricard Raquel already by his side, ready to do stuff with. By the way, this is also good for Ricard Raquel, who if you've given up on in the past, it's time once again to get your Raquel stocks low while you can, because I think having Trevor Zegras in the middle of his line is going to be the best thing that's happened to Raquel for the last few years. Of course, Adam Henrique is the third piece there. He's the guy who like pretends to be a two-way responsible player. I'm not sure how two-way responsible Adam Henrique is, but I think he's at least a steady presence. I don't think he's going to like toss the whole line in the trash. So yeah, I'm really excited for Trevor Zegras this season. Uh, The only thing I'll say to temper expectations, because it's what I do on that power play, I said just 15 power play points. I I just want to validate that by saying, you know, nothing is a slam dunk with his Anaheim power play. You've got Jamie Drysdale as a rookie quarterbacking hit, and you've got Ryan Getzlaff and Maxime Comtois both filling out the unit. Not that there's anything wrong with either one of them, but both, you know, Getzlaff is on the other side of having proven himself, and Comtois is on, well, the other side of not yet having proven himself. So we'll see how well that top power play unit does. It's been a while since it's really clicked in Anaheim, but that's why even with a modest 15 power play points for Zgrass, he's a really fantasy relevant player. 
Yeah, should be interesting. And also, a lot of people were expecting Comtois to be on that line with Zgras and Raquel. But no, lately, it's been Adam Henrique. So we'll see if that changes. If not, Henrique's always that guy that, you know, is available at the top of your free agent list. And if you have a good schedule in a week, he's not that bad. And if he's going to be on the top line with this Trevor Zgras that we're all excited about, just don't forget about him. Put him on your watch list. I'm not saying to grab him right away. All right, let's go to the another A team, the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, I guess one piece of news that came out today is that Phil Kessel's looking like he's going to play in the season opener. So that's kind of exciting, uh, I guess, for whatever that's worth. I don't know how many goals this team's really going to score, but obviously, Kessel has a lot to prove to try to get out of there. I remember in my interview with the beat writer for Arizona, the talk was all like, if Kessel wants to get traded, he's going to have to like play himself into getting traded for a contender to want to take him and his contract for the second half of this season. But okay, the other interesting news out of Arizona, I guess, is that Joseph Kajanash, we expected him and Carter Hutton to be the goalie tandem, but Kajanash got sent down, and now we have a new, I guess, backup or tandem goalie in the mix in a guy named Carol Vejmelka. So he's going to be in the tandem with Carter Hutton. I don't know who this is, Brian, so I'm just going to give you a classic. Who is Carol Vejmelka? And should we expect him to have a decent chance at stealing the starting job from Carter Hutton? I mean, he's Carter Hutton, right? And, like, to be fair, Hutton played only, like, a game and a half in preseason, but he actually looked pretty good, 945 save percentage, but that's probably worth absolutely nothing for such a small sample size. But, uh, yeah, I would think if you want to get a goalie that has potential to do something, maybe this is more like a Dynasty League thing where you can stash someone who hasn't played a minimum number of games or something. We should just have this guy on our radar, right? Carol Veljmalka. Yeah, I think it's Vemelka. Oh, okay, that's much better. V-E-J-M-E-L-K-A, if you're searching him on your watch list right now as the... I guess, de facto backup for the Coyotes to start the season. Vimelka, a fifth round pick of Nashville back in 2015, but he's been the starter for four of the last five seasons for Brno in the Czech League, where he's put up respectable numbers, but respectable numbers in the Czech League, uh, you know, we don't know exactly how much to buy into that, but it is at least promising that he's been doing it since at least the age of 20 years old as he heads into his age 25 season, which means Vimelka has some experience experience behind him in a professional men's league. Uh, and that's sort of what we have to hang our hats on because there's not really much out there on Vimelka. I searched his name on The Athletic and just found one mention of him. And it was from 2017 when Corey Pronman was reviewing the 2015 draft class two years later. And Pronman was essentially just saying, hey, Vimelka is proven himself to be worth a look. He has a good combo of size and mobility, which is also with the latest update from October, like, this month on DauberProspects.com says, so if you want really up-to-date prospect stuff, that's a great place to go. Dauber Prospects likes him as a pretty certain NHL player and has potential for fantasy relevance. And Vimalka doesn't have a, a huge bar to clear in Carter Hutton, right? I think the bigger challenge for him is going to not necessarily to, to outplay Carter Hutton, but just to play well behind this Arizona team. But they have a new coach in Andre Tourney who has a good reputation and a, a fresh outlook on things. I'm really curious to see what the Coyotes do. Himelka could be a fun uh, a fun chance to take early on if you're looking for a spot start, and we'll see how he does. Uh, not to say that Carter Hutton is for sure going to fall out of the 1A spot, but I think yeah, I, like he's he hasn't really capably held that spot ever in his career, despite chance after chance after chance. So I'm really curious to see if Vimelka can step in and become the one A or even number one in Arizona. But we're still a long way from that happening. We got to watch some games. 
Yeah, of course. So just another name to know. It, it might just be the same conclusion that we had in Schmore Goliesburg, which is just to stay away from Arizona goalies. But I do like them better than Buffalo, for whatever it's worth. We'll get to them in just a sec. But first, let's go to Boston, where Taylor Hall had himself a nice camp. Three points in three games on his second line with Charlie Coyle and Craig Smith. And more importantly to me, he's been locked in on that stack top power play with Pasta, Marshan, Bergeron, and Charlie McAvoy. Uh, so Taylor Hall had an ADP in the cup full of 86 behind forwards like Rust, Barzal, Marcheseau, Kopitar, Gaudreau, Line, Forsberg. Reinhardt. Those were around the guys that uh, were taken right before Taylor Hall in most of our leagues. I remember in my interview with Fluto Shinzawa about Boston, he was saying that Taylor Hall may not even get on the top power play just because he wasn't being used there last year, but so far so good. So in that case, it might make him a potential candidate to outperform his ADP. So Brian, what do you think? Are you excited about Taylor Hall? Do you think he's going to make the people who drafted him at around 86 feel like they got a bargain? I think Taylor Hall is probably rightly positioned being in the middle of that group of forwards. You know, I take him ahead of someone like Marcia So, but it's it's a lot of risk reward, right? And I know Fluto said otherwise on on the interview we did with him, but I'm still not that surprised to see Taylor Hall on Power Play One, which is the reward you would get for drafting Taylor Hall, uh, who definitely has a solid floor, but his ceiling may be low if he doesn't hold that top power play deployment. And of course, he's playing on the second line with Charlie Coyle. So I'm actually looking to another really great player in Boston who's always been almost always been line two power play two uh, to try and set the bar for Taylor Hall and that's David Krejci uh, over the years playing second line second power play Krejci has had 55 point paces mixed in with 70 point paces and I think Taylor Hall is going to fall right between there give me closer of course to 70 points if Hall is on the top power play I'm optimistic about him but yeah you're kind of putting a ceiling on what you can expect from that roster spot if you are drafting him. Because even if he is on the top power play, Taylor Hall is on the second line with Charlie Coyle, who, by the way, maybe we should be keeping an eye on Charlie Coyle. We have in the past before, and he's never really panned out, but Taylor Hall is going to be the best winger uh, that Charlie Coyle has ever had, and this will be the best deployment that Charlie Coyle's had in a while, too. So this is a chance for Coyle to prove something here. Not that he hasn't had the chance already. He's already heading into his age 29 season. So I'm not saying add Charlie Coyle, just saying put him on your watch list. Yeah, I agree. Similar to Adam Henrique, right? We've got some guys that are playing in good spots. We haven't really seen them ever like take off as fantasy studs, but who knows? Maybe this year there'll be some runs where you're going to want to add these types of players. And that's what we're here for, to let you know about them. And by the way, no surprise to me that Charlie McAvoy is on that top power play, right? This season, I'm telling you, this is going to be his big offensive breakout season. He's finally got the job. He's not going to lose it. If somehow your league mates don't know this yet, now's your maybe last chance to get him for somewhat cheap in a trade before he starts taking off, just like, you know, Tori Krug or whoever used to do in Boston when he was running that top power play. Okay, so over to Buffalo. Cody, I'm busy. Okay, over to Buffalo. Let's go and talk about their crazy goaltending tandem, uh, which is Craig Anderson and Dustin Tokarski. So a surprise there, just like in Arizona, Aaron Dell, we thought was going to be in the tandem with Craig Anderson, but no, he got sent down to the minors or waived or whatever. So yeah, like Anderson and Dustin Tokarski are your goalies. Uh, so you can uh, have a little game and try to bet on who's going to be better between that tandem and Carter Hutton and Vemelka, whatever his name was. So I don't even know what to say about these Buffalo guys. They stink. So, okay. But by the way, also speaking of stinky Buffalo players, uh, anyone who thought Victor Olofsson would be a decent late draft pick, FYI, he was skating on the second line today, which is Monday, uh, centered by Tage Thompson and Rasmus Asplund. Yes, that's the second line, I guess. Then you've got Casey Middleset, Jeff Skinner, and Vinny Hinnestroza on the top line. So Olafson couldn't bump Hinnestroza from that spot. So uh, make of that what you will. I'm definitely not too excited. Like I said in my Short Shifts episode with Ben, I'm not excited about any Buffalo saver. That even includes Rasmus Dahlin. 
Victor Olofsson was already on the nights like any Buffalo player in most drafts. He and Darlene are the only Sabres getting drafted, uh, you know, and you could make the argument still that whatever line Olofsson is on is line number one, uh, like Skinner and Middlestat sure could and should both be good uh, if everything breaks well for them. But it might not. They might not be any better than Tage Thompson or in Rasmus Asplund. Uh, I'm not buying so into these lines in Buffalo. I could see them trying a few different things. Come on, they're going to need to shake up the lines constantly, I think, just to keep things fresh because it's going to be a really rough season. The actionable piece here from Alderson being on the second line is uh, he's not a guy to hold on to for better or for worse. For better, of course, hold Victor Alderson if you like his deployment and he's doing the minimum he needs to to hold a roster spot on your team. But for worse, you can drop Alderson without much of a second thought. It was already a stretch in top line, top power play deployment that all sin was going to be worth rostering all season long. Without that, yeah, I'm definitely concerned. And also, you and Ben did a great job on short shifts uh, earlier, or late last week, when you were talking about, well, everyone you talked about, but one of the players you did talk about was Victor Olofsson. And I think it was Ben who mentioned like how all of a sudden clearly struggled without Jack Eichel and he's without Jack Eichel and there's no one to really step in. Dylan Cousins, we can hope might be able to reach uh, some measure of those heights. He's probably got the most upside of any center in Buffalo, but he's still a ways away from showing he can reach it. Yeah, for sure. By the way, Shams is letting us know in the chat here that Olafson apparently was coming off of injury and was having some trouble in practice today. So maybe if you're about to drop Olafson, hold on, wait a day. Maybe he'll get an uh, IR eligibility and you could just stash him instead of dropping him uh, or just like, you know, give him a game or two. But yeah, I'm not too excited about him. And that tidbit about Olafson came straight from Shams in our chat. And by the way, Shams is curating this amazing Twitter feed with us right now called at Game Day News NHL which is where you can find all the latest fantasy-relevant NHL news. Shams is always on Twitter and is excellent, has a great eye for what the most important things you need to know is. So a great companion if you already subscribe to Twitter uh, at Game Day Lines. At Game Day News NHL is another account you need to add to your Twitter feed. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, pretty pretty good. Okay, thanks, Sam's. All right, let's go now to Calgary, and we've got a change there. Going into the preseason, a lot of people were expecting this is the year that Noah Hannafin's going to finally get a shot on the top power play. I even bought into it. I read a good article about him on the Athletic, and I was like, yeah, I think the new coach Sutter, I think he likes Noah Hannafin better than Rasmus Anderson because Anderson got bumped off the top power play last year once the new coach came in, or even before that. Anyway, forget all that. In the final game of the preseason, Rasmus Anderson was the one on the top power play, not Noah Hannafin, and Anderson had three power play assists in that game or, or three assists and two of them on the power play so clearly a nice final audition so I think he's going to be the guy there with your Elias Lindholm is it Elias Lindholm or Elias Lindholm I know it's Elias Pettersson anyways with Lindholm Kachuk Goudreau, all those studs on that Calgary top power play. It's going to be Rasmus Anderson there as the quarterback. So I think uh, anyone who was excited about Noah Hannafin like I was, I think at this point you could probably drop him. I already have in the league where I drafted him. And uh, maybe you want to grab Rasmus Anderson if you want to get a taste of that top power play. You could have been excited about Noah Hannafin, or you also could have been like, it's really hard for me to get excited about the power play quarterback in Calgary because it's been a while. I mean, since Mark Giordano's big season a few years back, that they were really fancy relevant. We went through a whole season last year of even the guy when they were quarterbacking the power play, and it was mostly Rasmus Anderson, 
was barely worth rostering even while in that spot. So I think Calgary is rivaling a team like the Islanders for having the most boring blue line options. Obviously, I want a top power play quarterback, but for both Anderson and Hannafin, uh, these still may barely even be worthwhile if they're in that spot. So my message here is don't let Rasmus Anderson or if it turns out to be Noah Hannafin, Noah Hannafin, snooze on your roster just because they top power play. That was a mistake last year. So whoever is the Calgary power play quarterback, if they're on your roster, be on guard and make sure they're actually delivering you fantasy value instead of just assuming they are because of their deployment. Right, for sure. But the uh, the right now actionable advice is drop Hannafin and add Anderson if you have to take one of them. And last year, by the way, to start the season, Anderson had 14 points in his first 28 games. It's over, like, it's a half point per game pace, which is pretty good for a defenseman. So if he could start this season like that, he's worth holding. Hopefully he won't fall off if he starts like that. Anyways, you guys, you guys, uh, Brian and I are in agreement. Don't hold one of these guys if they're doing nothing, but I think Anderson is the one you want of the two. Okay, so next up in Carolina, they just have new lines every day. So I don't even know what you can do with this. But the latest from today on Monday from Chip Alexander. By the way, Chip Alexander is the only beat writer who I retweet on Game Day Lines that doesn't uh, adhere to the format. Like, all the other beat writers do these line tweets where it's like, this guy, with the, you know, each line in the message is like a different line. Chip Alexander, just all in one straight line, just all the lines, just with like separated by semicolons. Anyways, you have to see it to get what I'm talking about. But anyways, the lines from today, uh, Sebastian Ajo with Kakaniemi and Martin Nechas on the top line, and then Trocek with Svechnikov and Teravainen, and Stahl with Nino and fast and the top power play in practice today was Aho, Teravine, and Sveshnikov, Trocek, and D'Angelo. So Brian, first of all, uh, you win so far that debate we were having about if Trocek will stick on the top power play. So far, he's there and Nechas is not. Uh, as far as the interesting takeaways for me, I guess I see Jesperi Kakniemi as someone only 12% rostered on Yahoo at the moment and currently skating on the top line with Sebastian Aho. That's a pretty good spot. So maybe he could be this year's Nino Niederreiter. If you remember last year, no one was rostering Niederreiter even though he was skating with Aho to start the season. And then after a while, people were rushing to grab Nino, and he was actually pretty good for a while until he wasn't. He ended up getting bumped from that line. So Cockneyemi could be this year's Nino. I don't know how you know high of a bar that's setting for him, but definitely someone you should know about if he's going to stay on that top line. You should just know about who is playing on that top line with Sebastian Ajo. And if it is Kat Kaniemi, I expect him to be rostered in more than 12% of Yahoo leagues. Just keep in mind what Elon said at the start of this segment on Carolina, which is that they are showing us a new look in their line combinations every day. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see what Kat Kaniemi can do if he can stick next to Ajo, but that doesn't mean I'm penciling him in to do anything spectacular. Certainly not anything much different from what Nita Ryder did in that top line spot, including eventually getting bumped from it. So not to be too down on Kotkaniemi, but we're not looking for any massive change in his fantasy relevance this year. It'll just come from him playing or being exposed to some really awesome players on the top line with great deployment for as long as that might hold. Okay, yeah, and that would change his fantasy relevance, I think, if it holds. But yeah, we have to wait and see if it does. Okay, let me clarify. I don't see Kotkaniemi having this hidden offensive side that is just going to come out now that he's free from Montreal and in Carolina. I think he's largely going to be the same player, which is kind of like an eh guy. But yeah, if he's in a good spot, you want him. Just like so many of the players we're talking about on Like whenever we talk about line combinations and third wheel types, Kotkaniemi fits in with them. He's not someone who I expected to be able to do a lot on his own with all this latent or dormant fantasy upside. But of course, when he's in the right spot, you want him. 
I guess, uh, obviously, Carolina's hoping you're wrong. They're spending $6 million on the guy not to just be some random third wheel. But obviously, we'll wait and see once the season actually starts. Shams is also, again, letting us know. Good thing to have Shams here in the chat with us. Uh, so Trocek apparently is injured, might not play the first game. So we're going to... So there you go. Martin Natchez will get on that top power play maybe to start the season after all. We'll see how long it lasts. And uh, all the best to Vincent Trocek. Brian, let's go to Chicago. I think we've talked enough about Tyler Johnson, as is every other fantasy podcast, talking about Tyler Johnson on that top line and top power play, including, by the way, our fellow... Hello, Blue Wire buddy Dmitry Filipovich on his latest PDO cast. He had Cam Robinson on and uh, and someone else, and they were talking about some like fantasy targets that people are maybe underrating. And obviously, they talked about Tyler Johnson. So enough about him. I, we've already told you go get Tyler Johnson if he's available in free agency. He's playing on the top line, top power with Kanan to bring it. But let's talk about Jonathan Taves, the other center there, not seeming to have missed a beat so far in this preseason. Like six points in four preseason games after missing all of last season. Last time we saw him, he paced for seventy points in the COVID shortened season. So Jonathan Taves the most recent season he's played he's been good now in preseason he's looking good at this point it seems like if he's back to full health should we just be expecting him to repeat what he did the last time we saw him be a 70 point guy again I'd love to think so. And I was really happy to draft Jonathan Taves in the Kukupful. By the way, Kukupful, KKUPFL.com if you want to learn more about it. It's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Shout out to the poster on Reddit who is like, I hear them talking about the, like, spelled like coconut, kind of Kukupful. And I've been Googling and I haven't been able to. It's a hard word to Google. Uh, and unless you know that it's an acronym, KKUPFL.com. Anyway, I was happy to draft Jonathan Taves in my cupful draft early in the 10th round, so around 130th overall. But admit my enthusiasm has been a, a little dampened by Tyler Johnson's emergence as being Patrick Kane's centerman. That said, Jonathan Taves is still on the top power play unit, and he still gets to work with Dominic Kubalik, who he's had success with in the past. Remember, Taves' 70-point season was with Kubalik and Saad, although Taves' 80-point season before that was with Patrick Kane and Brandon Saad. So, hey, if I'm looking at 70 points instead of 80 points, I'm still okay with that. And I'm glad you brought up that Jonathan Taves has looked well in preseason because we don't often put a ton of stock into preseason play, but Taves was a guy we did want to see how comfortable he looked and if he's lost a step or has missed out on any conditioning. The scoreline so far seems to indicate he's comfortable, and I will take what reassurance I can get that Jonathan Taves is on pace to have another good season. 70 points still might be a a touch rich, but I think you can start at 65 points for a reasonable expectation for Taves. Let's just make sure over the next couple weeks that as the pace of play and competition does ramp up, that he still looks good. Right, yeah. Obviously, I guess we don't know everything about his health now from seeing five or six uh, preseason games, but so far, so good for Jonathan Taves. And yeah, he spent a lot of his career not centering Patrick Kane. So I'm like, not too surprised. I didn't expect him to be centering Kane. I thought it was going to be Kirby Doc centering Kane. But that was the big surprise to me. And he's the person who's lost most of his fantasy relevance for now. But yeah, Jonathan Taves will be on the top power play. He'll play with Kubalik and hopefully he's going to have a really good season. I think he can do it. All right, let's go to Colorado. C is the letter with the most NHL teams. That's a fun little uh, trivia fact for you to share at your parties. Uh, so Colorado, the top line is popping, of course, but nice to see uh, Nazem Kadri have a nice preseason five points in his three preseason games he's been centering the second line with Burakovsky and Nichushkin uh Kadri though has been on the second power play at least in the final preseason game it was JT Comfer on the top power play unit with your McKinnon Ranton and Landeskog and Makar uh so Brian with this potential power play demotion in mind what are, what are we expecting from Kadri here do we think he has it in him to get back to being the 58 point pace guy that he showed in his first full season in Colorado he was actually looking that way to start last season he started well like people probably don't remember because he just stunk at the end was being dropped by a lot 
lot of teams. The last thing we remember is four points in his last 14 games, and he ended the season below a 50-point pace. So, Brian, what do you think? Uh, by the way, at the end of last season, that's when he lost his top power play spot, which is how <laughs> things are looking right now. So are we expecting more than a 50-point guy from Nazem Kadri, or is he going to need that power play to be someone that we want to have on our fantasy teams in not just the you know deepest of leagues? I think Kadri is going to need to be on the top power play to have a shot at 60 points or breaking 60 points. But can Kadri still be relevant without that top power play deployment? I think so. But first, let's dig into why Kadri isn't on the top power play. And part of that is related to a fun fact about Colorado that I learned while researching for this show. Colorado has only three right-handed shooters in their top 12 forwards. And Nathan McKinnon is the only righty in their top six. It's McKinnon and five lefties in the Colorado top six. Uh, Colorado beat writer Peter Bow suggested that Colorado wants a righty, though, playing in the bumper position on the top power play uh, because the defensemen are drawn to McKinnon on the left-hand side, and they think that will be useful. Well, that only leaves, uh, aside from McKinnon, JT Comfer and Logan O'Connor as your right-handed option. So I think JT Comfer could be a fun, maybe Shiesan Kalornish type who can get 40 45 points with top power play production if he holds there. So that's one piece of this Kadri news to be keeping in mind. As for Kadri himself, I've actually seen him hanging out at the top of the draft board in the ones that I've been doing so far. And that's because last year was, as you mentioned, Elon, mostly bad for him. On the score sheet, it was Kadri's poorest point pace since 2014-15. But under the hood, you see for Kadri a career-low shooting percentage and a near-career-low on-ice shooting percentage. And... On top of that bad variance, Kadri was playing really well, five-year highs in his shot and shot attempt rates, plus career high in his expected goals rates. So I don't think Kadri has lost a step or anything. It was just a bad turn of events for him last year. Of course, it's a bad turn of events now that Kadri finds himself off the top power play unit, which is going to dig into his uh, total point production, which is why I'm thinking of him more as a 50-55 point pace guy this year compared to 55-60 points. And that 55 points is assuming he still does get some turns on the top power play if the Avs want to shake up there. We need the right-handed JT Comfer philosophy at some point. Yeah, I mean, they've done pretty well in previous seasons without JT Comfer there. You know how much I get, like, annoyed at this, like, handedness stuff when I, I, I'm like a Dave Benton, right? I like to get me the best players on the top power play. I feel like good things will happen, but there's a reason why I'm not an NHL coach and uh, other people are. Jared Bednar, I guess, is probably better suited than I am, though. I mean, why hasn't he taken Colorado to a cup? This is such a good team. Like, if Bednar's so good. Anyway, that's a whole separate conversation. I wonder if Bednar's job is going to be on the line if Colorado once again uh, falls short. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Okay, one more C team. Uh, and that's in Columbus. Max Domi, a surprise return uh, last Saturday, well ahead of schedule from his offseason surgery. Hey, he even scored a goal. Uh, so here were the lines for Columbus. This is another team that's been shaking things up a lot. But it was Texier with Voracek and Line on the top line. That seems to be the sweet spot with Voracek and Line having all the hype from this preseason. Then uh, Bjorkstrand and Nyquist centered by Jack Roslovic. Then there's this rookie Cole Sillinger that's been centering Boone Jenner and Max Domi. And then on the top power play, you've had Boone Jenner there as the net front guy with Line, Voracek, Bjorkstrand, and Zach. Wierenski, who's also had a very good preseason. So, Brian, we've already talked on, like, short shifts on our previous episodes, how Line is looking so much better with Voracek. So we don't need to do that again. Uh, we know Bjorkstrand is a stud. Here's the question. Who is the next best Blue Jacket forward to draft? Like, let's say Line, Voracek, Bjorkstrand are all off the board. I'm just curious. There's lots of good options, right? We have Texier centering the top line. We got Boone Jenner on the top power play. We have Nyquist, who used to be a decent guy in fantasy. Jack Roslovic had good runs last year. There's this guy, Cole Sillinger. There's Max Domi. <laughs> Who's jumping out to you if they're all available in free agency and you want to get a Blue Jacket? 
first, can I just marvel at how Max Domi went three days ago? I looked at his status update. Maybe he'll return in December. And now it's, oh, Max Domi is back, actually. Why does this happen? This seems to be happening a lot. And I feel like it does happen a lot most preseasons, but I'm really noticing it lately. And, you know, obviously... I, I don't know. I don't know what to make. Uh, like, if teams are just lazy, like, oh, I forgot to update the media on this player's status. Or when a player's, like, way have a schedule, they don't want to jinx it. I don't know what the deal is, but I wish we had better player information uh, about injuries and returns. And also, by the way, Crosby. Well, we'll get to Pittsburgh, I guess. It sounds like he's not going to miss a ton of time, obviously, because he's Sidney Crosby. Uh, so... Okay, I just want to talk about Max Domi for a second. I, I think he gets a shot on that top line between Liney and Voracek, but I don't think uh, Columbus has a ton of patience with him. And based on Domi's player profile, which is somebody who is defensively completely irresponsible, that doesn't seem like a good fit for someone like Patrick Liney, who has that uh, sort of pigeonholed uh, characteristic himself, too. I mean, Jacob Voracek is known to be like reasonably responsible, but... Certainly not Liney, and it feels like Domi might just be compounding the danger that line poses uh, on the defensive end. So I would be surprised if Domi spent a lot of time between Liney and Voracek. I think Texie and Roslovic are more likely to help anchor that top line and shore up any defensive deficiencies that it's going to get uh, Liney and Voracek into trouble if they don't have that steady, solid center presence between them. Uh, and you're asking about the fourth best Blue Jacket to roster. Well, I think I'll start by saying it's probably the centerman between Liney and Voracek. But I'm also just going to throw out Jack Roslovic as being my fourth most roster- rosterable Blue Jacket. Because even if he's not between Liney and Voracek, that means he's with Oliver Bjorkstrand. And Roslovic is good himself, too. So as so long as he has one really great winger, and I think that's what Oliver Bjorkstrand is, Roslovic could be looking at a good season. He had a 58-point pace last season, and uh, Roslovic's only 24 years old, so there's room for him to grow, too. I see him sort of languishing in free agency in a couple pools I'm in. And I think that's because, oh, he's not playing with Liney and Voracek, but I think that's a disrespect to, to Bjorkstrand, and I think that's a disrespect to Roslovic himself, too. So I would say he's my fourth most rosterable Blue Jacket. Do you concur, or do you have a different answer? No, I'm also going to disrespect Roslovic. Uh, I, I have a couple of people that I'm more interested in. I'm actually kind of interested in Boone Jenner right now, and I know you're just going to scoff and laugh, but I like him on the top power play. It seems like he's a good fit there. And he, like again, I'm talking about in your multi-category leagues, he's going to fill the you know different categories for you. So give me Jenner. I guess, over Roslovic, or maybe like a Max Domi, or maybe a Nyquist. I think I'd have all three of those guys ahead of Roslovic right now, but I think it's close. Like, it's very hard to say. That's why I asked you the question, because it's not an easy one. Fair enough. I I think there's lots of good answers for this question, and only time will tell which one of us is right. Yeah, maybe it'll be Cole Sillinger. Apparently, he had a really good camp. But okay, Brian, we've still got a lot of teams to get to, all the way from D to Z. Well, not to Z, I guess, but to W is where we end this show. Uh, But before then, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. This episode of Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by one of our sponsors this week, which is Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty and keeper leagues. They also do redraft. They also do best ball. But because of the customization and power that Fantrax offers, we know and we know people who swear by them and we swear by Fantrax ourselves to run our deepest and most complicated and uh, competitive dynasty and keeper leagues if there's anything that you find missing 
in your current platform, a feature, a scoring category, something, Fantrax likely has it because Fantrax is always running and always adding features. Fantrax is also always on, by the way, even in the off season, your league is active. You can play, you can draft 365 days a year, which you can't say about a lot of the other platforms. And that's just the start. Yeah, one thing I even like about Fantrax is this is the little things, right? Just that you could customize everything. You could even set your waiver time to not be like the random 3 a.m. that Yahoo has Eastern time on Fantrax. You can set it to a time when you're actually awake, which I think is handy. You can set all the like these different uh, configurable playoff schedules if you want to have like funky playoffs for your leagues. I remember Brian in the couple used to have some funky playoff schedules where, we, uh, anyways, yeah, you have that. You, anyways, it's it's all there. So basically, if you're a GM of a league and you want to have control of every little setting, Fantrax probably has that setting for you. It's a really great platform. That's right. And if you've never joined Fantrax before, if you haven't tried it, now is a great time to do it because they are going to dangle a little carrot for you. If you sign up for free today at Fantrax.com slash keeping, you're going to be entered to win an official NHL signed Nathan McKinnon jersey. All you need to do is sign up and start a new account at Fantrax.com slash keeping today. Again, that's Fantrax.com slash keeping to get started with the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry called Fantrax. Oh, yeah. Another thing I like about them is that when you contact them for support, they like respond right away, That which is really handy because sometimes you just you need a little hand. They told me today why or who Vakaninen didn't have a flag beside his name. I was wondering, like, come on, where's my flag? Well, it's because he's in the minors. So the minors people don't get flags. I, I'll bet you Yahoo wouldn't have told me that. Anyways. OK, go Fantrax. What's next? This episode is also sponsored by Underdog. Let's talk about fantasy hockey on Underdog, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. On Underdog, you can join a league, draft an NHL squad in minutes, And that's it. No more worrying about setting your lineup every day of the season, forgetting to do that, because Underdog gives you your best score each week. It's best puck. Yeah, also what I like about Underdog is you just draft. Uh, You know, we've all done our fantasy drafts by now. I'm kind of like missing it. Like I have all these rankings. I want to do some more drafting. You can go do that on Underdog. It's like playing daily fantasy if you want. Like they have different, you know, they have the like season long things. They also have the daily stuff. But the way you play is you draft against other people, which is just so fun to just sit down, have a draft. And I feel like if you're listening to Keeping Carlson, you're probably going to do pretty well because we know all we know about Tyler Johnson. Those regular people, they don't know about Tyler Johnson. We've talked about how drafting may or may not be the most important part of the fantasy season, but I think we can agree that it might be the funnest part of the fantasy season, and that's why at Underdog you can do that as many times as you want. So with Pug Drop right around the corner, what are you waiting for? Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store or the Google Play Store and sign up with the code KEEPING, and that will actually get you your free entry into the Best Puck Classic 2 today. That's a giant Best Puck tournament you can enter. It's about 40 filled and registration closes October 12th uh, later in the evening, right around puck drop. So again, all you need to do is go to underdogfantasy.com, sign up with the code KEEPING, and you'll get your free entry into the Best Puck Classic to today. Also, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. Don't you also, if you use the offer code KEEPING, you're going to get your first deposit of $10 matched. You're going to get $10 free in bonus cash. Isn't that true? It is true. And what's really convenient about that is joining the Best Puck Classic 2. The entry is $10. So yeah, you're getting free entry into the Best Puck Classic 2, where you can win $25,000 in total prizes. And that is another reason why you should go to underdogfantasy.com and sign up with the code KEEPING. All right. Thank you, Underdog. Thank you, Fantrax. Let's get back to the show. 
Vroom. We should get some like uh, sound effects, Brian, for uh, these ad breaks instead of just like sort of cutting away. I want I want to get like a swoosh, like a cool swoosh. What do you think? Look, we'll look at, if, if a listener wants to send us a cool swoosh, we might use that for our new ad if, sound. But if okay, a listener right. wants to make the sound with their own mouth, we could also consider using that sound. I, well, yeah, consider is a strong word, but yes, we could. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's keep going through our list of teams. We're on to D. We're on to Dallas. Uh, we had a question from Joel, our patron, asking, "I would love to hear a few thoughts on the Dallas lines." But that's what we're going to do, Joel. Don't you worry about it. But yeah, what it appears to be split power play specifically if the return of Sagan could potentially mean a resurgence for Jamie Ben. So yeah, the lines today in practice had, it was an old classic, Brian Ben Sagan Radulov on one of the lines. How do you like that? And then Hintz Pavelski and it was Jacob Peterson, but he was just filling in for Jason Robertson who's day-to-day with an upper body injury. So we can assume it's going to be Robertson, Hintz Pavelski and then Ben Sagan Radulov and then you'll have Gurianov down there with whoever, Faxa and, and Raffle. Uh, so anyways, there's been a bunch of combinations throughout camp so obviously this can change but Brian, it's kind of exciting to see Ben and Sagan back together uh, and, you know, we've talked about a lot of these guys already in the preseason over the summer. I don't think we've really talked too much about Jamie Ben, who was actually not so bad last year. 35 points in 52 games. That's like around a 55-ish point pace. Kind of feels like the best case scenario to me, to be honest, though I do like the idea of him playing with Sagan again. And we know that they used to have so much chemistry together. But come on, like, we're not going to expect Ben to have a real resurgence, right? Like, maybe just staying fantasy relevant all season long is, is the resurgence that we're hoping for. First, a little bit of trivia or nostalgia, because Ben Sagan Radulov definitely takes me back. I don't know if you remember, Elon, but there was, uh, I'm sure you remember, there was a time in Keeping Carlson where we were constantly trying to guess the third piece of Ben and Sagan's line. And I'm wondering, before it became Radulov, do you remember who it most often was? Ah, it's like if you gave me multiple choice, I would definitely know it. But I, the name escapes me at the moment. Okay, so I know he uh, went to like Anaheim, right? And then we were we thought he'd be good, but then he kept on getting injured, and it was too bad. Yeah, who? Oh, Patrick Eves. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So from sixteen seventeen, the year before Radulov arrived, it was actually Jason Spezza was the most common third piece on that line, believe it or not. And then Patrick Eves. The year before that, it was Patrick Sharp, and occasionally, very occasionally, Valnichushkin, but it was very often Patrick Sharp. So uh, there's a little trip down Dallas memory lane, which is what Jamie Ben rosterers really would love to do with him, right? Let's take a trip down memory lane with Jamie Benn and remember the time he could be relied on for between 70 and 90 points. Elon, you said with the return of Tyler Sagan, maybe things will look up. It'll take the return of perhaps a more religious figure than Tyler Sagan for Ben to reclaim the glory of his past uh, NHL career. You did mention that Ben had that 55-point pace last season, and that's nice. That's also about as good as I expect things to be for Jamie Ben. And remember, at the start of the year, he came out pretty strong. He had like five points in his first three games, a couple multi-point efforts. And we thought maybe Jamie Ben was going to do better in a short season, and he didn't, right? There's there's no indications of a Jamie Ben resurgence under the hood, but I do believe Ben can hold steady there, which means Jamie Ben is still fantasy relevant, but he's not someone I'm crazy about getting on my squad and hoping for immense upside. I would love if Ben Sagan and Radulov could all recreate magic of the past and do really well, but I think Jamie Ben has a pretty low ceiling at this point. And if he ever did pass 60, I'd be really surprised, which is why I'm comfortable having him right around 55 points. Elon, how about this for a Dallas Stars note? And you can comment on Jamie Ben if you want, but I just saw before we started recording their final roster heading into their first game of the season. Guess how many goalies are on it? Oh, is it three? There are three goalies. Jake Edinger made the team, quote unquote. So they're carrying Hudobin, Holtby, and Edinger. We thought that they would just send him down because he's the only one they could. But 
they're keeping him, at least for now. Maybe it's just like a little reward. He can take one flight with the team and then they'll send him down to ride the buses in the AHL. I, I don't know if there's anything to make of that, though, except it's really bad for anyone who tried to grab the tandem in Hudobin and Holtby. I, I think it's cute that you're saying the reward is that he gets to fly with the team. <laughs> like, you get to hang out with the big, with the adults. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very weird. I wonder if they're, like, planning on making a trade, right? That, that would make the most sense. There's definitely a lot of teams with really crappy goalies, uh, like Edmonton, who's their backup right now. Who made the team for Edmonton? Miko Koskinen. Is it, I know Stuart Skinner was also, but in the end, it was Koskinen that made it. And I, I guess I haven't seen the final roster, and I'm working on an assumption. But Hudobin could be useful in, in a few places in the yeah. league. Buffalo, Hudobin perhaps. or Holtby, right? Like, either of these guys, uh, I'm sure they'll be happy to trade one of them, because clearly Jake Edinger is just too good to be in the minors. We'll have to see what uh, Dallas actually ends up doing. And whatever happened to Ben Bishop? I remember he was, like, practicing, and they were saying how he might even another, make <laughs> Yeah, another super weird situation where, oh, Ben Bishop may play in the preseason, what he wasn't supposed to be back for another four months or more and i was reading about it yeah he might feel comfortable he needs to get into a game situation to really know where he's at and of course that never even happened so i there was a league where i added him and dropped him because i don't have a lot of room in ir and uh so we just continue waiting on ben bishop but it's it's like a curveball I was ready to just forget about Ben Bishop until I started hearing of him coming back. And all of a sudden, I'm like, do I need to respond sooner? But apparently not, especially with Dallas holding on to three goalies. Yeah, well, and then on TweetDeck, I actually started a column of Ben Bishop just so I could see the latest Ben Bishop tweets. And now it's like not even talking about him. It's like he's been no. excommunicated. <laughs> yeah, like, he like disappeared. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see if we ever hear. From- I have him on my uh, IR in Cacupful because, you know, around the time after we drafted, I thought it would be good to stash him if he was going to play because just a couple years ago, Ben Bishop was one of the top goalies in fantasy. And now it's just he's disappeared. But okay, let's go to Detroit now. And we already talked about Lucas Raymond on the latest short shifts with Ben. Uh, but the update is Lucas Raymond has made the team in Detroit. He's been skating today in practice on the top line with Larkin and Bertuzzi. So that advice from that episode on short shifts holds up. Go get Lucas Raymond. He's a top liner on Detroit, taking the spot that Verano was going to have. So we already talked about that, though. So we don't need to dig too much into him. So the guy I want to talk to you about, Brian, is Moritz Sider. Check out this preseason line. He played six games. He had three points, a goal and two assists. Two of those assists on the power play. He's been being on one of the two power play units. Uh, Four hits in the six games. 11 blocks, 12 shots, over 21 minutes of ice time. This guy screams solid depth D with upside to me for his rookie season. Like, the future, he might be even better. But Moritz Sider's looking so good to me. Like, I don't want to get too crazy. I'm going to throw a really high-level name at you, and then a lower-level name. But, like, he kind of screams a little Jacob Chikrin to me. Just like, you know, think of what we used to think of Jacob Chikrin going into last season. You know, we thought, this is a guy who, like, I don't know how many points he's going to get on Arizona. He's not on the top power play, but he's really good for your shots and your hits and your blocks, and he's going to play a lot. So he's, like, a guy that you probably want to get deep in your league, and he always has upside to do better. And then, obviously, Chikrin like exploded and was like better than what we ever could have uh, imagined uh, to go down to maybe a more reasonable place. I see Moritz Sider maybe as like a Ryan Pulak as of now, you know, someone that we know is going to be, you know, 35, 40 point guy, but still he's getting drafted all over in bangers leagues, right? Because he's great for blocks. He plays a lot. So that's like, like, I just think you need to at least have Moritz Sider at the Pulak level in your brain. And I think he has the upside to start climbing slowly, maybe not this season, but soon one day to Chikrin. So I don't know, maybe that's too crazy, but I'm, I'm excited. Just Moritz Sider should be drafted in your league or rostered in your league if you count hits and blocks and shots okay i'm, I'm not sure i totally agree with you here i he's could be a great category filler i, I wouldn't put him quite in shikrin territory because shikrin is great for his shots and shikrin you know averages two and a half shots per game in the in regular times in the preseason cider has two shots per game which is a start but 
Shikrin really, really succeeds from having a lot of volume. Like, I, I see what you're saying about Cider, that he's a good category filler. You see Ryan Pulak. I think that that would be a nice case for Mert Cider. You said put him at the Pulak level. I'd put him just below the Pulak level. I actually, the, the comparison I throw out for Mert Cider is Adam Larson as another comparable because like Larson, Mort Sider is not, I don't think Mort Sider is going to be the top power play quarterback right now. You've got Nick Letty projected there as, as of my most recent research. And this isn't to put, to say this is Sider's cap. I'm just saying for his current situation, playing a lot of minutes and putting up a lot of peripherals without much power play opportunity, that reminds me more of Adam Larson in Edmonton when he was acquired, which isn't a bad thing. That can make him useful in leagues where those peripherals are valuable. I'm just not seeing a ton of upside for anyone offensively in Detroit. So to say that someone not quarterbacking the top power play is going to be good for like 40, like Jacob Shikrin or even Ryan Pulak point upside is, uh, is hard for me to say. And also Jacob Shikrin, we're not even expecting Jacob Shikrin to be Jacob Shikrin again. We talked about him about a month ago. It was one of the players that was, we're trying to figure out, can he repeat his season from last year? And the answer was, it's very unlikely. I don't know. Maybe I think that Shikrin actually could be better than we think. We you agree, done you with agreed Arizona. with me at the time. I know. I've been hearing a lot of talk about how, you know, Arizona, he might just take a million shots and we'll see what happens. But anyways, uh, I just will disagree with this Adam Larson thing. I mean, we don't need to get into a whole debate, but like Adam Larson doesn't get any power play time, right? Like Moritz Sider has been playing like 43% of the power play time on in Detroit. The, in the preseason, let's yeah. see. Shams in the chat is mentioning Letty's on the top unit, Ronick on the second. So Sider isn't even guaranteed any power play time. Well, in the preseason, it's been Heronic and Sider together on that other power play unit with Letty on the first one. But we'll wait and see. I'm excited about him. Uh, if for any Detroit fans that are hearing Brian saying that <laughs> Sider is going to have the same offensive upside as, as Adam Larson, you could tweet to him at... Brian, do you even have a... You don't even have a personal Twitter account because I always see you like DMing with people, just like friends, using our Keeping Carlson account. I'm like, should I even like uh, be involved in this chat? So I don't know. You'll just have to go to Brian's house, send him some mail. Brian will let you know your, his P.O. box and then he could send you... I, I just don't want to hear the people saying that like, you're wrong about Moritz Sider. That's a Brian thing. Hang on. I'm not... I, like, I feel like you're framing what I said in a much worse way than I meant it. I don't know where you think Adam Larson is. I... I I mean, he's I think not, Adam Larson's like no points. Like he's just like maybe he gets like he gets a point yeah, every now and then. He's just not terribly exciting, but he can fill some categories, and that's where mm-hmm. I see Moritz Sider this season. So we'll see. For any Red Wings fans who uh, just want a reason to be mad at Elon, know that <laughs> he keeps calling Lucas Raymond Mason Raymond. But Elon, you're not alone on Frozen Tools. Mason Raymond is presently the fifth most popular profile. <laughs> <laughs> also, did you hear how Ben was like saying he thinks it's pronounced Raymond or Ramond? I don't know. Like, oh, I'm come on, Ben. <laughs> yeah, ben, the guy who called uh, him Pavel Buchnevik in that interview <laughs> about the Rangers the whole time. Go, go to but... Europe, Ben. <laughs> we love, we love Europe. I'd love. We to love go to Europe. Europe, and we love. Wait, I thought you were gonna be. Like, we love Ben. No, it's we love Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a great trip to Italy back when we used to be able to travel. I'd love to get back there sometime. Have some, uh, some cappuccino. Some gelato, pizza, sandwiches. All my favorite foods come from Italy. Anyway, all right. We don't even have any Italian players in the league that I know of. Or Perlini on Edmonton. Is he still well, in Edmonton? Is he Italian? <laughs> he's not on Edmonton, and he certainly has an Italian name. I was thinking, actually, of Fernando Pisani, who is a former Edmonton Oiler, which is a great segue into... To Edmonton. Nailed it. 
Okay, let's go. So Edmonton is another team I talked to with Ben on the latest Short Shifts episode, and we talked about how the line combos haven't gone the way we expected going into preseason with uh, Jesse Pugliarvi playing on a line with McDavid and Drysaddle. We've just been assuming that it was going to be McDavid and Drysaddle on separate lines, and maybe it would be Zach Hyman with McDavid and Pugliarvi. But no, we've got the two best players maybe in the league playing together on line one with a very lucky Jesse Pugliarvi, who's probably going to have a lot of upside now. Brian, I'm curious to know, in the cupful, I took a look in your tier two Ottawa draft in the very last round you were near the end of the draft and you had the option to take uh Jesse Pugliari but you went with Kyle Palmieri if you could redo that decision would you still go with Palmieri who for the record is on top line top power play on the Islanders or would you switch over to Pugliari I would switch over to Pugliari because with my last pick I'm looking for that home run swing upside I'm not happy with myself for passing on Pugliari I feel actually and wrongly entitled to Pugliarvi's success after what he and I went through together last year between all the fab I spent on him and all the ads and all the drops. But I also, of course, do feel some freedom letting Pugliarvi be uh, like someone else's guy to think about, especially if he starts cold. Uh, but that's only my cold comfort because I'm really optimistic for Pugliarvi this season. He's good. He has great line mates. And normally that's a recipe for success. Yeah, and plus he gets, I think, second power play, and the second power play on Edmonton still has McDavid and Dreisaitl. They just sort of swap out a couple of the other guys. So uh, you're going to definitely have some opportunities for Pugliarvi to be successful. And yeah, like you said, he's also a good player. All right, let's go to Brian. The Florida Panthers, our new favorite team of keeping Carlson. Woo! Let's go, Panthers. Let's go. Okay, this team, I've made a bet on them to win the cup. I've got Verhage and Barkov in the cuffle, so I'm ready to go for the Florida Panthers. So much has already been said about the Sams. Everyone's all excited about the Sams on Florida. Bennett and Reinhardt, and everyone's expecting them to have huge seasons. And maybe they will. They probably will, right? They're going to be great, of course. So let's talk about some non-Sam players on the team that are also not Barkov and Huberdo. And that leaves us with two other players that seem to be locked into the top six in Carter Verhage and Owen Tippett. And Brian, I don't see a reason to expect Verhage to fall too far from a 69 point pace last season he's got the same deployment on top line with Barkov this time now with Reinhardt and not with Duclair whoever else was there sometimes so that seems like a really good spot for him actually I drafted Verhage in both of my leagues this year and I feel like I got him at a pretty decent discount like in the couple I got him for $10 in the auction draft compared to Sam Reinhardt who went for almost double and yeah Reinhardt's maybe a little better but I think people are like kind of kind of going like two gaga over Reinhardt at the expense of Verhage who I feel like will end up being pretty similar both around 70-ish point guys I'm totally with you on Carter Verhage, Elon, who also, he seems to be falling into my lap in drafts that I've been in this year. And people seem to be avoiding him when, to me, he seems to be one of the best players on the board, even if he might not be one of the best players by like the Yahoo ranking or Fantrax ranking or whatever you're using. Uh, but I don't see Carter Verhage falling far off his pace from last year. I'm very happy to draft him as a 65, 70 point player, I guess. Maybe if I'm going to try and read into the minds of the people I'm drafting against, the concern for Verhage is that having Reinhardt on the other wing changes the chemistry or the way things worked from when it was most often Anthony Duclair there last year. But Duclair is still on the team. So if the, the line isn't working out, they can just put Duclair back up there instead of Carter Verhage and everything can go back to normal. By the way, that, that's a joke, by the way. I don't really expect that to happen, but it could. Uh, Carter Verhage's incredible year last season, by the way, 69 point pace with just two power play points. That's crazy to put up that many, and he had a shorthanded point too, but to put up that much five on five production, that is what being good 
and getting to play with Alex Barkov does for you, which is why we are both boosting Barkov this season wearing our Florida Panthers hats. I'm hoping for Carter Verhege to repeat last season again this season. I'm very happy to have drafted him in a couple leagues. Yeah, I think if anything, if Duclair gets onto the top line, he would probably bump Reinhardt and maybe Reinhardt would go to the second line and that would maybe bump Owen Tippett. But for now, that's not the case at all. Forget about Duclair because I think in a world where the word sleeper is thrown around way too often, people call like everyone a sleeper, even though they're on all of our radars. I think it might be appropriate to say that people are sleeping on Owen Tippett. He's only 4% rostered on Yahoo. He had a great preseason, seven points in six preseason games. How exactly are people thinking that Huberdo and Bennett are going to hit like 170 point paces like everyone seems to be expecting without Owen Tippett, a former 10th overall pick in 2017, being at least like a 60 point guy along with him. Like it just seems like he's in such a good spot. He's having good preseason. He has a good pedigree. Like that's a really good spot to be in. It's like kind of like what we thought about Verhage going into last season. I feel like everyone was like, yeah, Verhage's in a good spot. But I mean, he's Carter Verhage. Like how good can he even do? And now this year people are like, yeah, Owen Tippett, sure he's playing with Bennett and Hubert Doe. But come on, he's like, we've never seen Owen Tippett be that good. No, like if you don't uh, have Owen Tippett on your team and he's available in free agency and you're deciding not to add him, I got to tell you, I think you're sleeping. It's really not hard to imagine Owen Tippett having a great season this year and being this sleeper that you're mentioning because we saw Carter Verhage do it while wearing the same jersey. So you, you don't really have to be able to, to think a mile away from what you've already seen. I would happily take an early flyer on Owen Tippett. Just remember, of course, that Patrick Hornquist and Anthony Duclair are in the picture too, right? If Tibbet doesn't hold his spot on the second line, there's a lot of competition for his spot on the roster. So he's going to have to be good. And we've also seen Owen Tibbet get good deployment and lose it before, though he's another year older and more experienced heading into his age 23 season. So I'm just, of course, throw- throwing out some reasons to not get like, crazy for Tippett. But yeah, how could you not want the third guy on this line with Huberdeau and Bennett? Owen Tippett is a great guy to step into a streamer spot to start the year. You should go check right now if he's available and really consider, unless you're in a shallow league, replacing your bottom roster guy with him. Yeah, okay. And if you're not sure, you can tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know who you want to drop for Tippett and we'll let you know if we think it's a good idea or not. Uh, okay, so let's go now to the LA Kings. Their lines have been pretty much what we expected going into the preseason. So uh, Kopitar with Arvidsson and Dustin Brown, then Deneau with Kempe and Ayafalo, and then this guy Takachev, Brian, who you brought up when we did our mock draft a long time ago. He's been on the third line with Velarde and Rasmus Anderson. So, okay, pretty much as expected. Like I said, uh, this uh, Vladimir Takachev, five points in six preseason games. So I don't know. If, if, this is again, super, super deep league. He's someone that maybe has some upside. I'm going to throw it out there, though. Let's look at the defense. Alex Edler, his line in the preseason, uh, just in the last game versus Anaheim, he had three shots, three hits, and six blocks in that final game. So obviously, Alex Edler, obviously, this is just a preseason game, and who knows what the circumstances were, and I don't think he's going to do that every single game. But uh, I think that he's someone that people need to remember in your bankers leagues. This used to be a guy that was a stud, one of the top defensemen. Yeah, he doesn't have that offensive upside anymore, but still, he's taking shots, he's hitting, and he's blocking. So similar to what I said about more at Cider, but with, you know, less offensive upside. But don't forget about Edler and your bangers and mash leagues. Absolutely. I mentioned to you, Elon, in a, in a DM a week or two ago that I, I could see Alex Edler being a solid, deeper league peripherals candidate, still likely to have a top four role, though I guess I would be worried about how many blocks and hits Edler's 35-year-old body can handle. Even Edler's like 30, 31-year-old body couldn't handle a lot of them. But Edler is definitely worth a look if you're looking to fill some categories, as he always has been, but 
hasn't been recently, but it's time, I think, to just hit the reset and hope that Alex Edler could be as valuable peripheral-wise in L.A. as he had been two to five years ago in Vancouver. Okay, let's go to Minnesota now. So we and Dimitri and Cam Robinson on their podcast, we've all talked about the sweet spot that Joel Eriksson is in centering Kaprizov and Zuccarello. So obviously, just like with Tippett, probably even more so than Owen Tippett, go grab Eriksson if you can, especially in your leagues that count hits. Uh, like, I don't see any reason why not, right? Top, I think he's also been getting top power play deployment in the preseason. So I don't think we need to talk that to death any longer. Brian, I have a question about the rest of the lineup, specifically Kevin Fiala, someone who we love, who's had so many points, been so successful over these past couple of seasons. He's slotting in on the third line right now in preseason with Rem Pitlick and Frederick Goudreau, uh, like still on the top power play. And he's, you know, he had a goal and two assists in four preseason games. He's averaging three and a half shots per game. So like the numbers are looking good. He's So I feel like I, I want to tell myself it's probably fine. I'm sure Fiala will be fine. But man, that deployment is pretty brutal. These are like the types of players that we talked about Victor Olofsson playing with in Buffalo. Okay, yeah, but uh, Kevin Fiala has shown that he can do it himself, whereas Victor Olofsson has not. Just looked last year, Kevin Fiala's most common line mates, Marcus Johansson, Ryan Hartman, and Victor Rask. The year before, Zach Parisi and Miko Koivu. I'm actually not sure if that's better or not than the Marcus Johansson, Ryan Hartman, Victor Rask combo, because Parisi and Koivu were on their last legs. But Kevin Fiala has been able to do it by himself. And I, I wish Minnesota would stop leaving him on an island, but they don't have a ton of choice. Uh, I also maybe want to consider that we're mischaracterizing the lines in Minnesota because the second line, quote unquote, is Hartman, Greenway, and Marcus Foligno, which to me sounds very much like a, a third line. And then the second line would be the one with Fiala. My guess, without getting too much into semantics here, is that both lines are going to get about an equal amount of deployment in different situations, of course, one will be leaned on more than the other. Look, I, I can't get too worried about Kevin Fiala because he's proven that he can do well by himself before. But my suggestion is you go looking for managers who are worried about Kevin Fiala because I wouldn't mind grabbing him even with these uh, weak line mates in a weak deployment, uh, what appears to be a weak deployment situation. Fiala has been consistently disbelieved since breaking out. And I think he's just going to prove his worth yet again this year. So this is a good early season buy low opportunity on a guy who, from what I saw last year and the year before, uh, people don't have a ton of patience for Kevin Fiala. So this might be a chance for you to sneak on in there. I like that. Yeah, send this uh, Fiala manager a link to gamedaylinetweets.com question mark team equals min and then they'll take it and be like, check out this line that Fiala's on. You really want this guy? And the next thing you know, you're getting a low ball trade offer and you win your league. I like it. Okay, Brian, next up, let's go to Montreal. Uh, we already talked again on short shifts recently, uh, which was a great show. Thanks again to Ben Burnett for the great short shifts episode and Louis Ezekiel for the other. I, Brian, I love uh, hanging out with the short shifts, guys. I still like hanging out with you the most, but there's something about these like quick shows. It's, uh, it's exhilarating, but uh, obviously I'm feeling pretty exhilarated right now too as you could hear from the tone of my voice let's keep going Montreal yeah so we talked about Jake Allen already and how you definitely want to grab him if you want a volume goalie like Carey Price is going to be out for at least a month and obviously we're wishing him the best and a full recovery with whatever's going on with him uh, but in the meantime Jake Allen he's going to play a lot so get him if you need volume in a similar vein to Fiala though I want to look at the forwards and Montreal's been rolling out uh, to Foley Suzuki and Caulfield and then Drew Ann with Dvorak and Josh Anderson leaving Brendan Gallagher kind of out in the cold he's been playing with Jake Evans and Yoel Armia uh, while we 
wait for Mike Hoffman to recover. So maybe he'll be some reinforcements on that third line. By the way, the center might end up being this guy, Adam Brooks, who Montreal just claimed off of Toronto, who uh, they dropped. So maybe, I don't know, Brooks versus Jake Evans. That might be a storyline of a third line center in Montreal. But either way, not a great spot for Brendan Gallagher to be. So Brian, similar to Fiala, Gallagher's still getting solid power play time and he had a decent enough preseason, one power play goal and one power play assist, nine shots in the three games. But it's hard for me to imagine Gallagher doing any better than his 54 point pace from last year from this spot on what I think we can both agree in this case is the third line yes. in Montreal. So uh, what do you think? I'm kind of getting vibes of like Patrick Hornfist when he was in Pittsburgh. Remember, he was like around a 45, 50 point guy. He would generally be in the bottom six, get runs on the top power play. Well, I'm just curious if you have Brendan Gallagher, like what's your panic meter level at? Uh, you know, maybe that's a silly way to word it, but just like I'm just curious to get your vibe on Gallagher this season and how fantasy relevant he's going to be. I like that comparison you made between Brendan Gallagher and Pittsburgh era Patrick Hornquist, who was never quite a 45 point player. He was always just peeking his head up above a 50 point pace. And that's what I see for Gallagher, too. I mean, you look at him and Hornquist to some extent, good play driver, good shot taker, responsible, but low conversion rates through his career and middling deployment. So Gallagher is not someone I've been drafting for those reasons. Uh, he's reliable, but he's not exciting. You look at Gallagher the last four years, he's been somewhere between a 52 to 60 point pace. I would just expect this season for the reasons you mentioned in deployment that he'll fall on the lower end of that scale. Of course, don't forget that, like Patrick Hornquist, Brandon Gallagher also gets a nice bump in leagues where his shots on goal are valued, which makes him more valuable than your average 50, 50 to 55-point player. But yes, Gallagher is not someone to get terribly excited about and be hoping for that 60-point upside that we've really hoped we would see in years past. Yeah, he would definitely, if he could ever take that Toffoli spot on the top line, it would be a different story. But obviously, Montreal has different plans for how to use this uh, like defensively responsible player in Brendan Gallagher. So too bad for him. Uh, okay, let's go to Nashville now. Brian, remember this guy, Matt Duchesne? When I was oh, a yeah. young kid, this guy, Matt Duchesne, used to be like the star in the league. And then he signed a big like $8 million per year contract for seven years. And then he kind of just disappeared. And we haven't heard of him since. But you know what? This Matt Duchesne guy, he had four points in three preseason games with Nashville, and he's been skating on the top line with Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson, which is a nice improvement over his most common line mates of Callie Yarncroft and Rocco Grimaldi from last season. So I guess similar to Joel's question about Jamie Benn, is there the potential for maybe a bit of a Matt Duchesne resurgence this year if he sticks on that top line with Philip Forsberg? I have been befuddled as to why Matt Duchesne in Nashville hasn't worked out better than it has so far. And last year was a total mess for Matt Duchesne. He saw fewer than 16 minutes a night for the first time in his career. But I see some rays of sunshine under the hood for Matt Duchesne. And one is the deployment you mentioned, Elon Love, that he's playing on the top line. I don't care about Ryan Johansson, but I do care about Philip Forsberg. And do you happen to know who's playing center and who's playing the wing? on that top line? I would assume it's Ryan Johansson playing center and Matt Duchesne playing wing. That's the latest that I've seen. Yeah, okay. Because I think it might be nice for Matt Duchesne to play on the wing. We'll see if he can have success there. I'm not sure if that's a reason to be excited for Duchesne, but I'll give you some others. Uh, Duchesne was really, 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 really unlucky last season. Even as his minutes tanked, he still deserved better than he got. Matt Duchesne had a career low five on five shooting percentage, was near his career low on ice shooting percentage, and he had only 50% points participation, which means of all the goals scored while he was on the ice, Matt Duchesne only got a point on 50% of them. 
And that's weird. Usually he gets 70% and that is just chalked up to random variants. So there's lots of places that Matt Duchesne should just bounce back because of regression and variants that we can expect to favor him. But even beyond that, I can make a little comparison to someone we talked about earlier in the show in Nazem Kadri is another player we've seen do really well in the past. Last year was just a terrible, terrible season. But under the hood, Matt Duchesne, like Kadri, saw shot, shot attempts and expected goals rates that were at or near some of the best numbers Duchesne has put up in a decade. So it was a good year for Duchesne's play last year, but a bad year for his production. And as you can tell, I'm getting kind of excited talking about Matt Duchesne. If he's in free agency uh, and not like if he's not worth having in your league just yet, I would keep a really close eye on him and grab him if he's hot early on. I mean, first or second game, if you see something go well for him, go ahead and grab him. I could see him ending up being rosterable all season long. Of course, we've said this about him in Nashville before, and it hasn't panned out, but I am giving myself reasons to give Matt Duchesne a new chance. Not like Jamie Benn, who I'm like, no, I'm I'm forgetting Jamie Benn. I don't see a reason to believe he can be the player he once was. Matt Duchesne, I see reason. I love that he's playing with Philip Forsberg because Philip Forsberg is someone who's recently gotten finally that bump in ice time that we've wished for for so long. So if Matt Duchesne can get that bump on ice time along with Philip Forsberg, I love the possibility that they can do really good things together. Yeah, me too. So obviously those lines can change, but for now it's a really sweet spot for Duchesne. So in New Jersey, the lines have already been shaken up from what we saw at the start of the preseason. At first we were seeing Jack Hughes with Sharon Govich and Thomas Tatar, but the most recent combinations have had Tatar on the third line. So it's been Hughes with Kuokkanen and Sharon Govich, which was a common line at the end of last season, and then Nico Heischer with Pavel Zaka and Jesper Bratt, and then Thomas Tatar on the third line with Dawson Mercer and Andreas Janssen. So first of all, congratulations to Dawson Mercer for making the team. I don't know if everyone had that on their bingo card. So yeah, maybe add Mercer to the list of potential rookies that, you know, we should have on our radars that Ben and I talked about on, on that last Short Shifts episode, you know, with Lucas Raymond and Eklund and Tomasino, like Mercer could be pretty good. But at this point, still Dawson Mercer on the third line with Thomas Tatar's Brian. I wanted to ask you about Tatar. Are you a bit worried as someone who's been a big Tatar booster in the offseason? If he's not going to play on the top line with Jack Hughes, that must mean that he's not as valuable, right? At least for now. I'm worried about Tatar's value as someone who is boosting him going into the season. This is not the spot I wanted to see Thomas Tatar in. He's still slated for the top power play, but I would have loved to see him heading into the regular season alongside Jack Hughes or at least Nico Hishier. That said, I could see him. There's room to move up and down the lineup, right? With Kuokkanen on the top line and Zaka could be moved to say 3C if they end up needing him there. Like this is all, a lot of this depends on whether Dawson Mercer can hold down a like a reasonably solid third line center role and survives a nine game audition. So this is, you can hear me holding out hope for Tomas Tatar to still have some of the value I hoped he would going to New Jersey. And I still think the role he's meant to play in New Jersey is to be a goal scorer and a trigger man in the top six. But I am bummed that we're not seeing it to start the year. And it does make me a little worried about what we can reasonably expect from him going through the whole season. I wanted to think he could be a 60 point guy along with Jack Hughes. Now I'm thinking he might fall in the low 50s. Yeah, obviously the deployment will be key. And Tatar, unfortunately, has gotten the edit over the last couple of years as someone who, who can't hold good deployment and even potentially gets benched. So we'll see how he fares in a new system. Uh, by the way, Jack Hughes, it's your last chance to get him for cheap. I'm telling you, this 60 points that Brian just said, 
bump that up i think just a hunch just a hunch i think he's gonna be really really awesome this year but we'll see okay so let's go to the new york islanders now they've basically been running the same lines all camp barzal with lee and palmieri nelson with bovillier and josh bailey and then peugeot with parisi and wallstrom on the third line the top two power plays are basically like a pp1a and a pp1b so i could tell you the names the guys with barzal which generally like to think of as the top power play have been lee palmieri bovillier and dobson but then you've had nelson bailey parisi wallstrom and pulak also getting a decent amount of power play time uh the stars of of preseason have been Beauvillier and Dobson, I guess. They both have five points in three preseason games, along with Barzal, who obviously we knew was going to be a star. Uh, I feel like this is deja vu from last year, but Brian, is this the year for Noah Dobson to finally keep the role that he's on in the preseason, keep that going into the regular season, and finally have that breakout that we've been expecting from him? Dobson's only 21 years old. He's no longer behind Nick Letty, and, you know, Eric Gustafsson, there was a chance he was, you know, so he's been already dropped and got picked up by Chicago, so I think this is the time we thought last year was going to be the time but now this year i'm especially confident that this is the time that noah dobson is going to hold this spot on the power play with barzal so brian is this the year that noah dobson is on people's fantasy rosters from the beginning of the year all the way to the end of the year without people questioning if they should drop him or not I think he'll be on people's rosters from the beginning of the year. It's reasonable to start with Noah Dobson on your roster and see. But as I mentioned when we were talking about Calgary, uh, being a quarterback of an Islanders power play does not guarantee fantasy relevance, especially because keep in mind, the Isles roll two roughly even units. So that doesn't even mean that Dobson is going to be seeing great power play deployment and is going to be seeing maybe around a 50% share, give or take. Also keep in mind that uh, the Islanders being on that team, not a great place to break out. So I could see people wanting to give Dobson a shot to begin the season. But the second part of that was you saying, and keep him all season long without questioning. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be the way Nick Letty used to be when he was quarterbacking the top power play in Long Island. He'll be uh, on people's rosters and off all season long, sometimes going crazy hot and being someone you need to get. And we go gaga for on the show just for the short term to being someone who goes completely cold and is useless. Yeah, so we'll have to see. At least uh, Dobson shoots more than Letty. Hey, Letty actually had a good season last year, right? He had a 45-point pace. So we'll see if Dobson can repeat that. But with more shots, that might make him worth holding. But yeah, definitely not a guarantee. But I'm rooting for him. It's time. Let's go already. (laughs) Uh, You're 21 years old. you got to grow up. Can I throw another Isles breakout candidate at you? Sure. So on Dobson's unit, practicing in preseason was Oliver Wallstrom, who if you like just the bar is low for Wallstrom to break out, right? Dobson, uh, we already have sort of high expectations. Wallstrom, I think we're starting with low. And Wallstrom, in addition to being on one of the two evenly deployed Islanders power play units, is also playing uh, in the top nine on Long Island with Peugeot and Parisi. And we know he's got a good shot and has some real strong offensive upside. Again, the Islanders are a tough team for anybody to break out on. But if you're looking for deep value on the Islanders, Wallstrom would be somebody I would be looking at. Yeah, maybe. I guess, like, to me, it'd be, like, if he could bump Palmieri on the top line, which I've heard was which something he could. that... Yeah, exactly. That's an option, right? So Palmieri's getting the first shot, and then the coach said that maybe they'll swap and put Wallstrom there, and Palmieri could make it a PPP line for the third line with Peugeot and Parise, which I think would be fun just for the alliteration. Uh, if I were to pick a breakout guy that's uh, forward, I probably wouldn't pick Wallstrom. I think I'd pick Beauvillier, which is another deja vu, because I think we say that every year. But uh, you know, he had a good preseason, and I feel like it's just a matter of time before he finally has that like 60-point breakout instead of being the 45-50-point guy he's been every single year. 
I think I I went Wallstrom over Beauvillier because Beauvillier's already reached close to 50 point heights. And I think we can maybe expect like a breakout for him would be 55 points. And I think more likely uh, lower than that, but above 50 points. So somewhere in the low 50s would be a breakout for Beauvillier, which is great, but it's not terribly exciting, nor a huge change from what he's done in the past. Like for me, breakout means you're doing something that's huge and massively different than before. And I just don't know that there's room again for Beauvillier to break out, even though he might, like on another team, he's in his age 24 season, he has room to improve, but I'm just not sure how much room there is for him to expand on his body of work that we've already saw with the Islanders. I think he could hit 60, uh, but uh, okay. we'll have to wait and see. That would be really exciting. All right, so let's go to the Rangers now. Speaking of potential breakouts, we got Alexis Lafreniere and Capo Caco both getting their shots in the top six to start the year. Uh, Lafreniere's been playing on a line with Kreider and, of course, centered by Mika Zibanejad, who just signed that brand new contract, which is hopefully good value for both the player and the team. And then Capo Caco has been playing on the second line, or I guess they're probably... What do you even call these lines, right? They're both so so, so awesome. But he's Caco's been playing on the other line with Panarin and Ryan Strom. Uh, both of Lafreniere and Caco have been playing on the second power play at least in practice today all the regular players that you expect have been on the top power play but anyways looking specifically at Capo Caco uh, he had five points in four preseason games let's actually not be specific about him four points in four preseason games for Lafreniere so both of them have been above a point per game Brian how hyped are you for each of these players Alexis Lafreniere and Capo Caco both playing with Zibanejad and Panarin respectively let's say the scale is either cool it I've got some hype or I'm very freaking hyped Like, what's your level for these two players? I'm going to go somewhere between some hype and very freaking hyped. I want to get hyped about Kako, and I want to get hyped about Lafreniere. Both of them have faced challenges in their careers already and seem to be, from what I've seen and read, the types who work to overcome those challenges. So I'm curious to see what steps forward they've taken there. Also, they're young, like they're, they're clay, they can be molded, and I hope... I hope that the Rangers are giving them good guidance and training and whatever, and they're doing everything they can to step up and perform up to their the expected upside that they had out of their draft years. The line that really catches my eye is Zibanejad, Kreider, and Lafreniere. Elon, if Lafreniere isn't a star, like isn't star ready from the start of the season, what do you think about that line? Like, do you see Zibanejad having 90-point upside on a line with Chris Kreider and a still-maturing Alex Lafreniere? So you're basically saying, what if Lafreniere is like so much worse than Pavel Buchnevich? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that would, I guess, be a bummer, but he was drafted first overall. So I guess the, they're hoping for the best and they do have other options that they could bring in there if they need. But uh, yeah, obviously Zibanejad needs to be a superstar good enough to make the, you know, make the most of who he's playing with. I think that Artemi Panarin is that type of player, right? You don't even worry about who he's playing with. Kaprizov on Minnesota, right? Who were his players that he played with last year? Like the centerman was... I even forget his name now. Rask? Victor Rask? Like, it doesn't matter. If you're a superstar, you can make the points happen. And I think that uh, Zibanejad is one of these players. So I'm not too worried about him. And also, I think Lafreniere is really good. I'm really excited for him this year. So the point is a little bit moot for me, at least for now. Okay, that's great. I Yeah, just, just raise an eyebrow for me. And I hope everything you said is right. I love your optimism for everyone. And I'm just seeing if there's a way it could go wrong. But honestly, with Chris, Chris Kreider's there. And he's pretty solid. So I, I think I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, if not, they'll throw Barkley Goudreau up there instead of Lafreniere, and we'll see how that goes. They're spending a lot of money on him. They might as well get some use out of him. Okay, let's go to Ottawa now. Brian, Brady Kachuk, still unsigned? 
What's going on? Come on. You had one thing to do. Well, I guess they also had to sign Drake Batherson. They took care of that. But their other main thing to do was to sign Brady Kachuk, and he still haven't done it. So it looks like we're going to be starting the season with Alex Formington taking Brady's spot on the top line with Norris and Batherson. And then the second line in the preseason has mainly been Stutzla being centered by Shane Pinto and Connor Brown, which is also a pretty intriguing line to me. The Shane Pinto character had four points in four games, and Pinto had 15 shots on goal in those four games in the preseason. So he's someone definitely on my radar right now. So, Brian, assuming you're in a deepish league where, you know, Norris, Batherson, Stutzla, those guys are all rostered, who's the fourth forward on Ottawa that you're streaming in for a pretty decent week one schedule? Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Not many teams are playing three games this week. So if you want to grab a senator, is it Formanton? Is it Pinto? Or is it Connor Brown, who's just solid all the time? Uh, I thought I was going to get to surprise you by saying Connor Brown, because, of course, he's my type of player, right? He's a steady hand. He can put up a couple shots, if nothing else. But I will acknowledge the upside that Alex Formanton has. He's a fun guy to watch playing on a top line with like Josh Norris and Drake Batherson. Good hockey players. I would love to have Alex Formanton if he's playing with them. He's no Brady, but he has speed and upside. And then I'm, it's interesting that you notice those Shane Pinto shots on goal. Last year, he looked good in limited action. His first NHL games, a goal and six assists for seven points in 12 games, but he only had 11 shots in those 12 games. So I'm wondering, I'm curious to see if that shot taking trend he started in preseason carries into the regular season or not something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think that probably has a lot to do with ice time. Like when he played last year, he was like in the bottom six. And now if he's going to be centering that second line, obviously he's going to play a lot more, which will give him opportunity to shoot more. So yeah, we'll have to see how things shake out in Ottawa. Hopefully they just sign Brady Kachuk. This team could be not so bad. Like they had a really strong end to last season and I'd love to see them continue to at least attempt to continue what they did at the end of last year. But obviously it's going to be a lot harder when without their best player, the heart and soul of the team. All right, let's go to Philly now. So much talk in the offseason of who would run that top power play for Philly with Yandel, Ellis, and Ristolainen jumping into the fray with Provorov. Looks like our answer, at least to start the year, is going to be 35-year-old Keith Yandel, who's been QBing a top unit with Giroux, Konechny, Couturier, and JVR. Uh, Yandel had two power places in four preseason games. Brian, do you foresee us getting reacquainted with 50-plus point Keith Yandel this season after a brief departure last year? I don't. And I've always touted Keith Yandel's elite power play contributions the same way that I once upon a time did for Kevin Shattenkirk. These guys are great on the power play, but problematic just about everywhere else. So this year we'll see if Keith Yandel can hold on to his past of being a great power play contributor and getting top power play deployment. Just to put this power play past into context, Keith Yandel, not that long ago in 2018-19, 39 power play points and has paced for 25 power play points in each of the last two seasons. But even with that help on the power play, Elon, I think 50 points is rich. 40, 45 points maybe is where I'd land for Yandel. And he carries a lot of risk as someone who's does nothing in like three quarters of the games in the season where he doesn't get a power play point. And of course, Yandel could be moved off the top unit at any moment. He's older. His best years are behind him. So I I just don't know how much leash Keith Yandel gets on that top power play unit. And the second he loses that deployment, he's in big trouble. Whereas the other guys you mentioned, Alice Provorov, even Ristolainen, they probably have some value. Uh, Well, they do have some value just based on what they're going to do at even strength, both in scoring and in peripherals, whereas Yandel doesn't have that. So Yandel uh, can be a home run swing to help you with your power play points. But that is going to be about it at best through the season. All right, man, we should really change our nicknames for this show. Like, I call you the Poobah Prognostication and the Fantasy Hockey Robot. And yeah, you are those things. But you're also like uh, the holder of the 
cold water bucket or something. I need to like get a name like that to throw at you at the start of the season. Like well, I, we I have a pattern. You're, yeah. you're like, hey, isn't this guy amazing and someone to be interested in? And of course, I'm going to say yes. But the reason to also maybe not be is. Right. Yeah. So it's like kind of like the opposite of improv. Instead of yes and, it's yes but. <laughs> but okay. So yeah, Yandel, I'm looking at before last season, which I, I feel like last season shouldn't really count because like the coach hated him and didn't even play him. Right. So but like. But to me, all- to me, <laughs> that's that's instructive. It's oh, like, sure. oh, yeah, that's a good oh point. Keith Yandel couldn't stay in Joel Quenville's good graces, has fallen out with Alain Vigneault at another point in his career. So that that. That concerns me. No, I get that. Yeah, I guess I'll just throw it out there that before last season, his three previous seasons, his point paces were 53, 62, and 56. And I'm not saying he's going to like hit that for sure now, just, but I'm just saying it's not like a long, long time ago that he was hitting 50 plus points on the reg, but we'll see what he can do now in Philly. I hope you heard the part where I acknowledged how of great, course, I did. how elite it was great. Keith it was my favorite part of the show. The power play. And, I, and I hold to that. He's just older and I think there's going to be less opportunities for him off the power play than there have been in past years. Yeah, I definitely could see that. Yeah, it's going to be power play or nothing, but that's why they signed him. Okay, so let's go to Pittsburgh now. So Crosby and Gensel have been at practice, but did not do line rushes. So it looks like for at least the first game of the year, Crosby and Gensel aren't going to play. Gensel's on the COVID list, uh, but apparently he's like didn't doesn't have symptoms, and Crosby obviously had that surgery, and he's healing at a superhuman rate uh, so here are the lines that we're starting the season with on tuesday uh, danton heinen on the top line with center jeff carter and rust brian rust and then the second line is zucker with rodriguez and kasperi kapanen so definitely not the high-powered top six that we've come to know and love from the pittsburgh penguins uh pittsburgh does have a good streaming schedule to start next week like i said they play tuesday at tampa one of only four teams playing on that day so if someone is in a deeper league or even not a deep league you just want to grab a tuesday player that you're then going to drop for someone playing more later in the week. Who do you even grab? Like, I guess obviously you want Rust and Kapanen and probably Jeff Carter, but now we're getting into the dregs here. But like, who do, do we like? Is Anton Heinen worth a shot? Like, he we once thought he was going to be good back in Boston. Remember, he was on the top power play a lot. Um, he's had a good preseason, four points in four preseason games. I've seen some good quotes from people saying they think he's like playing a lot better than a lot of people expected. So I don't know anything to Danton Heinen at least as like grab for one game and see while he's on the top line with Carter and Rust. Well, while he's on the top line with Carter and Rust is a weird way to frame excitement for someone, right? Especially Danton Heinen, who we, we've been open to him being offensively inclined before, but he's rarely ever convinced us that he has offensive upside. And I don't think the situation for, for Danton Heinen, even though it's top line, doesn't seem pretty awesome. Like, let's look at this. He's playing with Brian Rust, who we think is great, but we've only ever seen him produce with Crosby. And Crosby is being replaced by Jeff Carter, who's 36 turning 37. And then there's Heinen on the other wing. So you look at that carter heinen Russ line. And I just, I don't know if that's a reason to get excited about, even if they are the so-called top line. So call me when Crosby is back for my interest in Danton Heinen. I, like, sure, if you're light and you want to stream someone in, you can stream a lot of guys in and Danton Heinen could be one of them. But I don't think he really stands over and above the field. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. I'm not that into Danton Heinen either. Oh, phew. I was worried. I was starting to worry that I was being too negative about all these guys. 
No, but I mean, just had to bring it up. This is the top six right now in Pittsburgh, and Danton Heinen is right there, right in front of our faces. I had to mention his name. Probably the only mention on Keeping Carlson this year, but maybe not up to him to get himself another mention on the show. Uh, by the way, uh, Tristan Jari, 922 save percentage in three preseason games. So, Brian, I'm with you. You said in Schmore Goliesborg that you thought he's a bit underrated going into the season. And yeah, he's a starter on this team. Obviously, it'll help once the Crosbys and Gensels and eventually Malkins are back. But uh, Jari's probably someone being a bit overlooked and maybe someone you can get a little cheap right now if you want to make a trade for a goalie, especially with people seeing Danton Heinen on the top line and freaking out about which team they have a starting goalie for. Yeah, there's a player I was optimistic about. Go Tristan Jari. Okay, but now I think your optimism is going to stop and mine is going to surge because, Brian, I'm so sorry, but I'm just, I'm excited about the San Jose Sharks again this season. And like, I'm I'm glad you're here. Honestly, I'm glad you're here to be the voice of reason because I'm just going to go off a little bit on why I'm excited about San Jose. Then you'll tell me at the end why I'm being dumb. But okay, first of all, these two new players, these two rookies, I get. Well, Jonathan Dolan is like you know, not a rookie. Well, he's a rookie in the NHL, but he has pro experience. So he's coming into the NHL. He's been playing on the top line. William Eklund has looked so great in camp, really changing the outlook of this team's top six, right? All of a sudden, from a shallow top six with like basically Couture, Meyer, and Hurdle, and like who knows who else, all of a sudden we're looking at Couture, Meyer, and Dolan. Allen, Hurdle with Eklund and Balsers, uh, then even a decent third line of Benino, LeBanc, and Nieto, and we've got Mr. Weatherby, who I talked about before on line four. Uh, by the way, uh, Eric Carlson and Brent Burns putting up nice preseason numbers. And to cap it off, both Aiden Hill and James Reimer have looked good in preseason. Aiden Hill capped off the preseason by shutting out the Golden Knights, stopping 25 shots on last Saturday's game. Brian, I recall in our interviews with Shang Peng over the last couple of years when we were talking about like what's wrong in San Jose, I remember he always pointed out that a big problem was none of their new young players were ever like stepping up and being up to snuff you know so they had like some core guys but obviously any team needs some new people to come in and fill the cracks this seems like the first year where we've got some actual promising young talent to be excited about plus they have goalies that actually know how to stop the puck so putting and they still have Carlson and Burns who I think maybe with all this other stuff put together can maybe have bounce back seasons themselves so I don't know Brian, I'm ready for you to come with your bucket right now, but I feel like the San Jose team is going to be a lot better than people are expecting. I saw, I don't know if you know this uh, site or Twitter account, Top Down Hockey. They had some projections for the playoffs this year, and they had San Jose potentially making the playoffs, because don't forget that this is a weak division that they're in. So, I don't know. I'm uh, into the Sharks, and hence, excited about a few of these players. Like, we don't need to get into all of them. Like, I'm excited potentially for Aiden Hill uh, to do something this year. I'm excited for, like, you know, Eklund and Dolan, and I'm excited for Burns and Carlson. So I'm just throwing it out there. I like this team. That's great. I'm glad you're excited for them. Uh, they need that energy going for them. Also, the model you referenced, yes, I do follow, I think it's Patrick Bacon, Top Down Hockey. Uh, good account. A lot of hot takes coming from there sometimes. That mo- that model has San Jose a point above Edmonton in the regular season. Do you, do you agree with that? I don't know, man. Like, uh, probably not. But I do think that San Jose... I don't know. Like I said, I think that San Jose is looking... I think a lot of their deficiencies from the past, the things that have made them bad, I think they've, like... I don't even think they necessarily did it on purpose, but I feel like they've addressed them somehow. Like, just getting Eklund and Dallin being good top sixers to let their, like, less good players now be bottom sixers, not having to have bottom sixers in the top six, I feel like that really, like, just glues a lot together. And also, I just think that not having Martin Jones as your starting goalie is a big improvement. Sure. 
Uh, okay, but you said not having bottom sixers in the top six. And I, I'm as excited as anybody about Eklund and hopeful about Dahlin and Rudolph's Balsers is also in the top six. I, I wouldn't necessarily say those guys are, are top six players yet. They're, they're three lotto guys uh, that if they all hit, that's great. And then San Jose's in great shape. I don't know if they're all going to hit. Also, Aiden Hill's kind of a lottery ticket too. I, of course, anyone is an improvement over Martin Jones, but Aiden Hill, I think, might be an average-ish NHL goalie, which would be, of course, already a big upgrade, (laughs) but I'm not even sure if he's an average starter or just like maybe an average backup. So we'll see. I'm excited to see the season play out. Dom's model had the Sharks ranked 25th, and that's more where I am uh, when I'm trying to project the Sharks season ahead and what that means for wins and goals against for Aiden Hill. If they do sneak into the playoffs, Elon, I think it'll be because their division is kind of, it's a wide open race. They've got that going for them. So that'll be that'll be my optimism. Yes, if everything breaks right for the Sharks, they could have a good year, but they, they need a lot to break right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. Obviously, if Eklund and Dahlin don't pan out, that's a big problem. But I'm excited about both these guys, especially William Eklund. All right, let's go to Seattle now, where we've just been through a whirlwind. Like, there's so much news out of Seattle. Like, first of all, like, earlier this week, we saw that Yanni Gourd is back ahead of schedule. There's another guy, Brian, that you can tear your hair out about. Apparently, bugs you that players come back ahead of schedule. So, yeah, Yanni Gourd was another one. And then when and the first line combos, when he returned, had him taking McCann's spot on the top line with Schwartz and Eberle. So, everyone was like, oh, my God, why did you tell me to take McCann? Now he's playing on the second line with like Donato and Geeky what have I done what a big mistake should I drop McCann for uh, Yanni Gourd then like like the next day of practice that had changed and Gourd was then down on the line himself with Donato and then like Schwartz was with Everly and McCann again then all of a sudden it's like forget about all that because now a bunch of players are in COVID protocol McCann Yarncroc Alexiak uh, Johansson and Eunice Donskoy. Then I saw a tweet from Marissa Ngemi today saying Yanni Gourd said he wouldn't play in the first game in Vegas tomorrow night. So I guess he's still recovering from that shoulder surgery. So as far as like next week goes, like who even knows? Oh, also uh, Tampa waived Alex Barre Boulet, which shocked everyone, and Seattle claimed him. So all of a sudden, at least for now, with all these players injured, like Barre Boulet might all of a sudden become a good streamer for this week. Because Seattle also has a good schedule, and he might end up getting in on the top six, maybe getting into one of these Gord or McCann spots. So. I don't know. What's even the question here? At the end of the day, I still feel like McCann is going to be on the top line. And also, I want to throw it out there that even if, like, Gord did take that job as the top line center and McCann was on the second line, like, centering Donato and and Geeky, I still feel like he'd have a good season, right? Like, those two guys might be better than expected. Uh, There's still the top power play deployment, which, which we haven't seen any indication of Jared McCann losing. So... In my opinion, I think Jared McCann, I'm just ex- as excited about him as it was before. Obviously, just not so happy that he's on the COVID protocol now, and hopefully he's okay and it's not going to go through an actual COVID case. I know that he's vaccinated, that apparently all of Seattle was vaccinated, so hopefully all these players will be okay. Anyways, but what do you think? Would you be concerned if McCann wasn't on the top line? No, I wouldn't be. And I feel the same as you, that McCann is talented enough himself. Plus, he's got Geeky and Donato, who seem like players who you can play with, at least at a glance. And I'm I'm hopeful that that'll be enough. I looked back to the Vegas uh, opening night roster, their, their inaugural season, to see who their second line was. And it was a pretty good group. You had Eric Halla in the middle with Perron and Neil. And when I say pretty good, I mean, they did really well 
even though we might have guessed that there was one quality player between them and David Perron and Neil and Hollistel had great seasons. And I'm hoping that maybe McCann can be the Perron and Donato and Geeky can be the Hala and James Neal. It's not exactly the same group in Seattle and the analogy isn't airtight, but I'm very open to Jared McCann seeing success on whatever line he plays on. And of course, remember, if Geeky or Donato don't work out, you've got Eunice Donskoy uh, on the third line ready to be promoted. And he's shown himself to be a workable piece in a top six for McCann to work with. He would be more like a James Neal or Eric Halla, perhaps, than Ryan Donato. But yeah, I am optimistic about Jared McCann just because he's not on the top line and Gord is healthy is not a reason to give up on him already. Yeah, and also my sense is from the latest practice lines before all this COVID craziness that I think McCann is still slated to be on the top line. I think, like, afterwards, like I said, they already had Gourd centering a lower line in the lineup. So, okay, let's go now to St. Louis. Uh, their lines throughout training camp, at least at the end, were Ryan O'Reilly with Perron and Brandon Saad, then Shen with Kairou and Buchnevich, and then Robert Thomas centering Tarasenko and James Neal, who came in on a PTO and ended up uh, earning a contract. So good job, James Neal. Not a bad-looking top nine to me. Eh? Like, St. Louis looks like they could be a pretty strong team if these players do as well as we hope they can. And one of them, Vladimir Tarasenko, line three, but top power play with Shen, Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, and Krug. And Tarasenko had himself a nice training camp, a lot like Jonathan Taves, someone who hasn't played in a while. Or I guess Tarasenko did come in at the end of last year, but he wasn't himself. But yeah, four points in four preseason games for Tarasenko. Uh, while H- Taylor Hall was going 86th in the cupful as his ADP, Vladimir Tarasenko was way down at 115 on average after guys like Pavelski, Horvat, and Martin Nachas. So Brian, I guess I have the same same question for you with Vladimir Tarasenko as I asked you way back uh, an hour or so ago about Taylor Hall do you think that Tarasenko was a steal at his draft position or did he go in the right place I think Tarasenko's average draft position is a reflection of the caution people practiced in drafting him. And I, I like Taylor Hall, there's a risk or reward there. And, and the reason to be cautious on Tarasenko is he's played just 34 games in the last two years, has not reproven himself after some pretty substantial injury history being added to his, his resume. And Tarasenko's also at odds with his team right now. He doesn't want to be in St. Louis. St. Louis doesn't want him to be on the team either. And so there's, I, I think there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong for Vladimir Tarasenko, which means I don't think people are wrong to be drafting him as late as they are, but he could also, of course, end up being the steal of the drafts if he does pick himself up and show himself to, to not have missed a step after not playing any games and being injured and to not be too hampered by his situation in St. Louis. I don't love Tarasenko being on the third line, uh, but I also don't know he's going to get much of a bump Unless St. Louis, like the the best thing Tarasenko could hope for is that the Blues have a tough run to start the year. They get in trouble early and they feel desperate enough that they're like, hey, we can't waste another game of not playing our optimal lineup. Let's throw Tarasenko into the top six, even if he's not long for the team. So you could definitely get closer to winning your league by grabbing Tarasenko as late as you did. But I'm not sure I'd want to grab him a whole lot earlier, even saying that. Yeah, that's fair. I guess the best case scenario is kind of like what Phil Kessel's hoping for. Like I was saying, like if he could get traded after a really strong start, I'm sure St. Louis wants him to have a strong start so they could get a good return for him. So it's in everyone's best interest for Tarasenko to pop off to start the year, including the people who were able to draft him so late. All right, let's go to the defending Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Tampa was running some odd line combos throughout the preseason. There was a stretch where Stamkos was on the third line with Ross Colton and Corey Perry. Uh, but today he was back in his expected spot on the second line with uh, Sorelli and Alex K. 
Killorn. So it'll be interesting to see how Tampa's third line of Matthew Joseph, Corey Perry, and Ross Colton will compare to last year's Gourd Coleman Goudreau trio that took them all the way to the cup. Uh, it was cool to see uh, Corey Perry pop four goals and two assists in the four preseason games that he played. It's always nice to see these former superstars still having a little bit of juice left. Uh, but I don't really have any fantasy questions here for Tampa. Everything seems to be pretty straightforward. I'm just excited to see how Tampa's quest for a three-peat is going to go. Me too. If Yanni Gord is someone who had value in your leagues playing from the third line in Tampa, I could see. I like what you said, Elon, that Matthew Joseph and Ross Colton could show themselves to have a similar-ish value. Nothing exciting or world-beating and not, I don't know if either of them has the capacity to go on those crazy runs Gord went on, but uh, Gord hasn't gone on any crazy runs in the last couple years for the most part. So if Gord was still helpful in your leagues then, maybe these guys will be now, but that's for deeper formats. My big thing when I'm watching the Lightning is all eyes on Andre Vasilevsky, right? His average draft position this year, often going in the first round of Cup full leagues, as early as I think fifth overall, uh, that reflects the most faith we've seen managers put in a single goalie in a really long time. So I, I'm curious to see if Vasilevsky rewards that with another amazing season or if something else happens along the way. My money's on the former. Uh, my money's also on Tampa repeating, by the way. I- I'm looking forward to a three-peat. It'd be really exciting to see. So uh, go Lightning, I guess. Wait, what happened to the... I thought we were cheering for the other Florida team. Don't we're cheer- Pan- go Panthers. I'm also cheering for Florida. I would love another really exciting playoff series between them. But if I had to put one against the other in a seven-game series, I'm still leaning Lightning. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, hard to bet against them at this point. All right, in Toronto, another roller coaster. Uh, I got excited about Michael Bunting on short shifts with Lewis a couple weeks ago after he had a hat trick. Then it turned out he wasn't going to be getting the deployment with Tavares that I was hoping for. It was Ilya Mikheyev who was playing on the second line with Tavares and Nylander. Now Mikheyev is injured, so it looks like Bunting will, in fact, slot in on the second line with Nylander, but now not Tavares, at least to start the season, because Austin Matthews is injured for at least the first week of the year. He's going to miss at least the first three games, so Tavares Tavares has gone up to the top line, which has left Bunting and Nylander to be centered by Alex Kerfoot. So where does that leave us? I don't know. Probably that you want to get Nick Ritchie as the first sort of potentially available player in your free agent pool uh, because he's going to be playing with either Matthews or Tavares and Mitch Marner to start the season. Uh, But Brian, still, Michael Bunting, I'm pretty into him, right? Especially once Tavares is back on his line and it's Tavares, Nylander, and Bunting, if he could last that long. I think that he's pretty interesting and he's a good stream at least to start the season because Toronto plays Wednesday, Thursday. So I don't know. Once again, I'm back on the Michael Bunting train. I'm really excited to see what he can do after he showed us some potential stretches of value in Arizona last year and he could be potentially in a much better spot in Toronto once everyone's healthy. He could be, for sure. And I think especially with Toronto playing those early games, Wednesday and Thursday, if you have space in your lineup, you might as well see what Michael Bunting can offer you in those games. But I guess I'm also going to throw it out there that, hey, did you already have Ilya Mikhaev on your team? And how into him were you? Uh, Because I don't know that Bunting is going to be much different. And you mentioned Bunting has had these really exciting stretches in Arizona, uh, but nothing else from his body of work really sticks out. But of course, the thing with Bunting is that we're not sure we know this guy yet. And so that can be enticing and exciting to give Bunting a shot. So for sure, go ahead and give him a shot on Wednesday, Thursday, but expect this roller coaster to continue as pieces in the top six shift. And I think you just need to, as we say about a lot of these guys, be ready to react to whatever's happening. On a player like Bunting, you're not waiting to see what he's going to do for a week or two. You're waiting to see what he does for a game or two and then making your next decision on him. 
Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Though it does get a little bit confusing because he's not going to be playing with Tavares, who I feel like he might have chemistry with. But So we'll make the decision uh, as we go along with the information. We'll talk about them on short shifts if something comes up. Okay, so let's go to Vancouver now. So those lines, again, have really been shaken up a lot. I thought that it was going to be Garland playing with Pedersen on the top line and JT Miller down-centering line three. That's how it looked at at the end of training camp. But then today, on Monday, in their first practice right before the season, I guess, all of a sudden it's back to kind of what we expected. So Pedersen, Miller, and Alex Shea on on the top line but don't forget Brock Besser is day-to-day so I imagine that's really Brock Besser's spot though nice opportunity for Shayson for the time being uh, then the second line of Horvat Pearson and instead of Hoaglander from last year it's Connor Garland slotting in here on the second line and then Hoaglander down on the third line with Dickinson and Highmore so uh, at this point now I feel like everything is kind of what I would have expected like before the preseason and I don't really have a question here kind of like with Tampa Bay just I want to remind people that Brock Besser is day-to-day so don't get too crazy about Alex Chason and be upset that he's on the top line i think it just makes sense to me for vancouver to just kind of roll the lines they want to roll with and not go with something too crazy while they're waiting for besser might as well let like pearson horvat garland if they're going to be the line let them build chemistry that's the way i see it anyway that's how i see it too and if jt miller starts on the first line by the way then we are forbidden like i'm saying i don't think we should ever mention third line center jt miller ever again, even if there's legitimate talk coming from a legitimate source. Until I see it, I don't think I can ever acknowledge that possibility again. Fair enough. It was like literally like the last game he was there. But okay, now we get to like, I agree with you. Unless we see it happen in a real NHL game, we don't need to bring it up. All right, over in Vegas. So Matthias Janmark is in the COVID protocol, which means that, by the way, whenever I say it, it sounds like I'm saying it so like offhandedly. Like I definitely hope all these players are okay. And, and now I laughed as I said that. But hopefully everyone realizes that I do care that Matthias Janmark uh, has a healthy recovery if he actually does have COVID. But anyway, he's not going to be around for the first week for Vegas, most likely, which means that the 2019-17th overall pick Peyton Krebs has made the team and he was skating Yanmark's spot on the third line with Nolan Patrick and Evgeny Dadanov so that'll be a fun line to watch and I'll be interested to see what Peyton Krebs could do I'm also just interested to see what Nolan Patrick and Evgeny Dadanov could do in new situations so this is just an exciting third line much more exciting than that uh, Tampa third line just because it's all players that have something to prove this year otherwise the top six is the same as last year so no real reason to expect anything significant to be different right I don't think so, except I I don't know. It must be over between Nolan Patrick and Chandler Stevenson, at least for now. But I'm not sure that Nolan Patrick doesn't get a look on the top line at some point this year, especially if he proves his worth on the third line. On one hand, I guess that would be reason to keep him on the third line if that's going well. But I'm curious to see if Vegas wants to uh, give him another, a a bigger stage on which to prove what what he might have in the tank. And I'd like to see it personally. So I am rooting for Nolan Patrick to, to get a look on the top line at some point. Yeah, I could see it happening. Obviously, it'll depend how things are going to start the year. Uh, I guess actually the main thing I'm interested to see in Vegas is what's going to happen with Robin Leonard, right? Like everyone's so excited about him this year. Flurry's gone. He should be able to step in and be the volume starter. But, you know, like we've discussed, like he hasn't really been a volume starter in a long time. And people are saying that Laurent Brossois, I've heard a lot of people saying that maybe he's a little underrated. Maybe he will actually get a significant number of starts. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to shake out and if Robin Leonard can really like cement himself and have that like Vesna year that we we've thought he's capable of for so long. This is his chance, right? He's the main goalie on a good team. Let's go, Robin Leonard. But I'm curious to see if he has it in him. Uh, Okay, let's go to Washington now. So Ovechkin, 
might be able to play on Wednesday, might not be able to play. He got hurt in the last preseason game. Looks like with Ovi out, they were practicing with Justin Schultz taking over on the top power play. Not an Ovi spot. It was actually John Carlson going to the left circle spot with Schultz on the point. So just a reminder, this Justin Schultz guy was available in free agency in all leagues. Anytime anyone is injured, he gets on that top power play and has the potential to pop off. So if Ovi doesn't play, you might want to stream in Justin Schultz. But anyways, I don't want to talk about him, Brian. I want to talk about Evgeny Kuznetsov, who had a great preseason, five points in four preseason games. Backstrom is out. Kuznetsov is healthy and motivated. And Brian, I'm just very confident. This is like my Charlie McAvoy thing, right? I'm just very confident that he's going to have a big season for Kuznetsov. It's going to be a big bounce back season. Uh, he's someone I'd go for in a trade right now if you can. Like maybe you could swap to like higher end guys and then try to sneak Kuznetsov in as like a throw in. Like, oh yeah, we're trading like Tavares for whatever Stamkos. And then why don't you just give me Kuznetsov just to like, you know, even it out. And actually you're getting like a player who I think is going to be like a 70 plus point player i'm really excited about kuznetsov this season i was gonna give you like some airtime just to be really proud of it for anyone who didn't listen to the full kakupful auction draft late in the draft elon did pick up evgeny kuznetsov for just two dollars out of his 260 dollar budget and especially with the news that backstrom is not going to be back soon uh kuznetsov value could be really high so I- i'm with you elon that Kuznetsov is kind of a sneaky guy who a lot of people have forgotten about and got frustrated with last year. But if you're willing to give him a fresh start, he really could reward you, especially if he's available as late as he has been. Yeah, and last year, again, he was sick with COVID, I believe, twice. So don't read too much into those numbers from last year. All right, let's finish off in Winnipeg. Uh, so, okay, first of all, Nik- Nikolai Ehlers is once again on the second power play. It looks like it's going to stay that way. I know all offseason we were talking about maybe this is the year that Ehlers finally gets on top power play. I think we saw a quote from someone saying, like, Ehlers, like, wants it this way. <laughs> like, apparently it's not a matter of him being, you know, demoted, not getting the opportunity. It's like he likes running his power play unit with, I guess, like, Josh Morrissey and, and Andrew Kopp and whoever, Paul Stasny. So, okay, that's it. But, like, Ehlers can still be really good. He was great last year, but let's stop maybe expecting him to get on the top power play i wonder if eventually winnipeg ends up turning into more of like a power play 1a and 1b kind of like how the islanders played especially you know with wheeler getting older if he's not going to be as good as he used to be maybe all of a sudden you want to maybe get that ehlers unit out more often so that's something i'll be watching uh the main player i want to ask you about though is pierre-luc dubois not a great preseason at least in terms of his production only one goal no assists in the four games only one shot in each of his last two games if he doesn't get going to start the year i wonder how long it'll take for his 47 percent rostered percentage on yahoo to just start tumbling down to closer to Andrew Kopp and Paul Stasny levels as guys that yeah get a shot in the top six but aren't like that great and like at this point I'm losing a lot of patience with Dubois like I don't have him in any leagues thankfully but I'd be you know obviously this is a preseason you don't want to read too too much into it but he also like struggled last year to put up points and I just am starting to really and he's on the top power play by the way so I should be excited about him but he's not doing anything and it feels like it's been a long time since I've seen him do something it's been a long time in the preseason while we don't want to think too hard about it it's just made it be longer that we've seen hockey happen without Pierre-Luc Dubois doing anything. There are lots of reasons to feel impatient with Pierre-Luc Dubois. I have one Pierre-Luc Dubois stock uh, because I like him as upside and he's been falling in drafts, but I'm not holding on to him very long if he's not giving my team much of anything. There's not a lot of patience for Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think he's still a decent guy to start with because he'll be exposed to Ehlers at five on five and on the top unit on the power play, but seems like a great place for a former 60 point scorer. So long as he still is that player, and I don't know why he wouldn't be, but we haven't seen him be it. So by all means, take a shot on Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like if you have a choice between Pierre-Luc Dubois and Michael Bunting and you're forgetting about schedule, I think I'd still 
take the chance on Pierre-Luc Dubois, but I wouldn't hold on to either for very long. Like my, my amount of patience for both would be very similar. Yeah, even the fact that you just compared those two players says more than you need to say about what you think about Pierre-Luc Dubois, that you even have to ask that question, even though I agree with you. Yeah, for now, I'll take Dubois. But yeah, time to not be so patient. So okay, Brian, we did it. 32 teams, 32 takes. I don't know if they were like good takes, but at least we did it. We dropped 32 takes and hopefully people will find some nuggets in there to help them get ready to start their fantasy season, which start when you're listening to this, it's probably like today that the season starts. So get ready, set your lineups on Yahoo. If you're in the cacupful, yeah, we copied your team over to Yahoo already. It's time to get going. Okay, there's still actually some people that haven't taken their players off their bench yet. I'm watching. I'm going to be a a hawk, Brian. I'm not going to be like a nice uh, commish. I'm going to be like, hey, hey, buddy. Uh, let's go, please uh, set those lineups or, uh, you know, we're going to need to find a replacement. I want this to be the most competitive, awesome league. Like, you no, know, obviously we're going to give people warnings and all of that. Stuff. I'm just <laughs> saying like a cup full where the commission is not going to be nice. Well, I just want I'm thinking about everyone else. I'm thinking about the 98 percent of people who want to play in the most competitive league and we're just going to make it so. So that's all that's all I'm saying. But anyways, I, I'm just joking around here. I'm a little bit amped up. I haven't eaten yet, so I don't even know what fumes I'm running on. But this has been such a fun show going through all 32 teams. I'm so excited for the season to start. By the way, Brian, I've just learned now this is like the magic of editing, right? Like at the start of the show, we didn't give kudos to the amazing night before hockey that Lewis read because at the time I had forgotten that we're going to be putting that in after the fact in post but lewis just sent me the file so i'm going to put that in at the top of the show which is always a fun yearly tradition where lewis has his poem the night before hockey getting us all pumped up for the season so thanks again lewis for recording that and man brian i'm just so stoked uh by the way if you're stoked you're listening to this you're like man i'm stoked as well come join our community of patrons on discord we're having a blast we've just been talking about everything and like i'm always in there just chatting with everyone answering everyone's advice questions it's just a blast and we'd love to have you so it's still kind of early in october so you could sign up even take consider it a free trial up until the end of the month you don't get charged until the first of each month so check it out keepingcarlson.com slash patron also please be subscribed to the show we're going to be starting to drop short shifts uh, on the regular this week uh, then episodes every sunday so you know make sure you're subscribed on your spotify apple you, you know how to subscribe to podcasts hopefully if not message us on Twitter at Kevin Carlson. I'll, I'll walk you through the process. You want to get those episodes downloaded automatically. So if you're in the subway or whatever, you can still listen to the show. Uh, but with that, Brian, I think I'm done with uh, the preseason. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I only want to talk about the real NHL season. So let's just cue the outro music. You can go ahead and read us the credits and then we're done. Preseason is over. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters uh, who uh, subscribe to the super supporter tier over at patreon.com slash keeping Carlson, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Kevin, Tom, Josh, and Christopher. Thanks so much for the support you give us. And thanks to all the patrons for making our community so beautiful and powering future episodes of the show. Logo art from brandonweeb.com, tier one Sweden participant in the Cacupful. Outro music by Pat Roach, not in the Cacupful. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job, as always, Brian. Looking forward to the season starting. Good luck, everybody. Good luck, everybody. And let's make sure that this season, fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>